everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your neophyte, Frank. And today we're going to be taking a look at Degrassi, The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 8, Whisper to a Scream. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now to help us through this episode, we have a very special guest. Uh, this person is a chemistry student as well as an avid Degrassi fan and also somebody who we got in contact with because they because she listened to our podcast. So let's please give a warm welcome to Erica. Hello. <laughs> Long time a listener, first time caller, so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It, it really means so much to hear from you. Um, I guess the the big question, because you're one of the newer folks that we've had on the podcast, is what is your relationship with Degrassi? Yeah, so um, I'm a little bit younger. I'm still in school, and so uh, I wasn't in the whole kind of uh, Degrassi era, next generation era. I came a little bit afterwards, but I remember as a young child seeing it on TV because... Um, it would play every night at like 10 p.m. and I would like sneak, like, uh, sorry, I would sneak a, um, like stay up to watch it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was something I couldn't watch every day because you know, as a young child, you can't stay past 10 p.m. or you will be wrecked the next day. Even as a adult, that happens sometimes. <laughs> um, but so I would watch it occasionally, and then when I got to high school, um, I kind of rediscovered it, and that's kind of the time when uh, Bianca's season was, and oh, um, yeah. Claire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's my Frank is, Frank just shaking crew. Again. You have no idea who any of these people are. You will find out. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I rewatched it in high school from... Of the beginning, so I started at Degrassi Middle School, so the 80s, and I watched it all the way through. Um, and then I rewatched it again in college with a few of my friends, so I've watched the series a few times, but yeah, that's kind of my journey with Degrassi. It's really interesting hearing hearing that from somebody who is younger, because like I, I found, or I'm realizing that like you're not the only person that has this kind of experience. It seems like it's really easy for somebody like me who is a little bit older to kind of just contain it as like, you know, the, the Degrassi fandom really only were people who got into it through the next generation and then just like stayed there and kept going. Yeah. But it's really cool to hear from somebody who got into it because of some of the later seasons, because like I, you know, while I think some of those seasons have some issues with them overall, I, I quite liked a lot of those newer characters. And while I was, like, a little apprehensive when a lot of them were introduced, like, a lot of that crew, like, I thought they were actually some pretty decent characters. So it's really cool to hear that they were interesting enough that newer viewers were willing to, like, get into the series and then kind of go back and discover the original entity of it, the next generation entity of it. So it's really cool hearing from you. Yeah, and I, I have, like, a few friends of mine who are around my age who are into Degrassi, but I don't think it's as, a, like, a big phenomenon as it was in the next generation. So it's it's interesting um, kind of seeing generational differences of, like, who like who caught on to where, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. 
Sorry, the cats are fighting on the tree and they were making these like weird like chirping noises. They like to chirp, so like I was listening in and I just looked up and that was what was happening. But um yeah, no, it's really cool hearing from that perspective and so and it'll be also interesting kind of here as we explore this episode. Um but before we get too far into the episode, we introduce the A plot and B plot. Um I do want to stick a big old content warning on this uh because this episode Specifically, the A-plot is going to have a lot of triggering content in it. Specifically, it's going to be talking about self-harm extensively. Um, it's also going to be depicting alcoholism. And it's also going to be touching upon emotional abuse, which we will probably talk more about in the discussion itself. So I wanted to kind of stick that content warning on it. As always, you know, check the description, check the minutes. And if you need to skip some of that information... Do not hesitate to do so. Um, but before we get too far into that plot and get into some of the content that we we warned about, uh, Erica, if you could please introduce us your a plot, um, introduce us to the a plot and the b plot. Yeah. So the a plot is kind of all about Ellie and Ellie. Uh, her father. You see her father going away on a mission. He's part of the Canadian um, like national force. I'm assuming army, and so she gets this. She gets in a really stressful position, and uh, she, and so, um, and so she resorts to a coping mechanism of self harm, basically. And we kind of see her journey through that. And then, uh, for the B plot. It's all about um, Terry having a secret admirer, and we kind of go through um, trying to figure out who the secret admirer is. Yeah, and because we are getting better at planning ahead, we're going to take a look at that B-plot first. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, oh my god, it is episode 8. We saw Terry for a hot second the episode before. This is the first time we're actually seeing her, like, have more than just, like, one line for a split second an episode prior. Yeah. Yeah, she gets a full-blown plot, basically, which is cool. It's, uh, co it's cool, but I also am like, where the hell was she? Like, <laughs> <laughs> she was busy playing field hockey with, uh, with uh, what's her name, Kendra. I guess. That's the only explanation I can come up with. But um, we do see her. We also see Hazel, who we have seen a little bit this season. I mean, I feel like with Hazel, like, I can't even complain because I know and we've already talked about what happens with her, which is just that she w is not going to get an A-plot basically ever again. So it's like, <sighs> anytime I see her, I'm like, oh, hey, Hazel, I'm glad you're being kind of used. <sighs> And, and the shame with it is is that I actually quite like her in the role that she has in this plot, even if it's not a very substantial one, because she's chatting with Terry, and, you know, she's just kind of, they're kind of commiserating about boys, essentially. Um, and as they approach Terry's locker, Hazel is excited and intrigued because there's a rose on it. And as she points out, this is about the fourth rose stuck on there in the past week or so. So Hazel is very curious and deeply romantic, so she finds this intriguing. Yeah, um, and you see a long-haired young man in the background, 
And then he walks by the camera, and Frank says to himself, Oh, it's Chase Boy. From the Drake music video. Because <laughs> that's all I know him as. Chase Boy. <laughs> yes, that is Chase Boy. You're correct, Frank. <laughs> I was wondering if, uh, I was wondering if you're gonna pick that up, because I know you mentioned in, like, one of the earlier episodes watching the Degrassi music video, um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that you picked that up. <laughs> I was low-key wondering it myself, but I did not want to see the line, so I'm glad that you, you acknowledged it yourself, Frank. Yes. Looking, he's looking way less greasy than he does in that video. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, it's, like, a very much, like, a very overt kind of scene where it's, like, you know, Hazel's, like, oh, like, how do you not know who this is? Like, you know, did you, why don't you consult your tarot cards? Um, <laughs> and then Terry's, like, well, I want it to be Chase Boy. Um, and they kind of, like, look at him and walk past him, and he, like, smiles as they're walking past. Yeah, and it's... It's kind of obvious that, you know, the two have a thing for each other. I think at least in that scene with the camera work and everything, uh, you know, they kind of both smile and they're both kind of shy, so they look away. So it's a, it's a very cute moment. Um, but it still has an air of, like, is it or is it not him? You know, he could like her, but he could be the person not putting the roads there. Exactly. Like, I think that putting multiple roses on somebody's locker like that is a quite the undertaking like I I know I know like myself and I'm sure other people like I know other people have like done kind of those types of gestures like you know trying to get somebody's attention and putting something in their locker or slipping it in their binder or something like that but like I I usually was like a one and done type of thing. I would like write a note and be like, hey, you're really cool. I'd love to hang out with you. And then if they replied, they replied. If they didn't, then that's how it went. I don't know about you, Frank. So I'm dying slowly inside <laughs> over here. <laughs> because I am remembering a seventh, seventh or eighth grade Frank. Oh, God. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Who once... Drew a picture of a young woman and gave it to her after class. And guess what? She had a boyfriend. Oh, no! <laughs> so, yeah. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's painful. Like, this, whoever this young Lothario is, like... Doing at least better than I did. I was like, well, now you don't have to, like, confront your embarrassment. <laughs> you can just roll. Yes? Did you sign it or anything? Like, I handed it to her. Know? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh. oh, Frank. And there was this other young woman who, she, there, okay, so first period in my high school which started like 6 or 6.45, I think. It's hard to remember now. I'm very old. Uh, <laughs> and um, I used to just go in early just to kind of hang out because it was like, yeah, what's the point of staying at home? Now I know I'm early and like the bus is a lot emptier and quieter at 6 o'clock in the morning. And like, I would go in and like try and talk to this young woman and then, like, she would flirt back with me and would be like, just go away. I'm like, all right, and just walk back to the other side of the 
cafeteria where I just sit and like, I just did not understand it at all. Just did not understand any kind of like romantic anything at that point. Oh boy. I mean, you wouldn't be the only one. I see that every day. (laughs) Oh, and just to close out that part of the story, um, I wanted to ask her to prom. And at one point, we were walking, we had the same gym class together, we were walking back inside, and she was just, I was just, I forget, she's like, oh, who are you taking to prom? I was like, well, my sister and her friend want to go to prom (laughs) again. Um, So I'm just going, Mike, Mike. This guy, Mike, is going to uh, sign in Susie, and I'm going to go with her friend. Who are you going with? She's like, oh, I couldn't find anybody to go with, so I'm just going with a friend. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Later. Oh, Frank. <laughs> I am bad at this. Frank. Oh. Maybe you should have just stuck four lockers, four roses in somebody's locker. <laughs> Things would have gone a little different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always wonder. Like, people, like, if you could go back and tell your younger self to do one thing, like, I would be like, stop trying to hang out with those people. They suck. Ask this girl out. Try and have more fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Yeah. So yeah. So. Yeah. So I ha- I have an embarrassing um, secret admirer story from middle school too. Oh, please share. Uh, when I was in, like, sixth grade, I found this uh, note in my locker from a secret admirer, and it was typed in webdings. Ooh. And so I was like, ooh, coded. And so I spent the time decoding it with a friend of mine. And, uh, and then it later turned out that the same friend who helped me decode it was actually the person who left me the note because she was playing a prank on me. No! Yeah. And she made it seem like it was from this person I, you know, had a crush on at that time. So. I'm sorry. That's so sad. Like, I, I, like, I thought it was, you know, like, yes. Oh, no, maybe we should try this one. It's like, yes, hurry up, hurry up. (laughs) Hurry up so I can feel my feelings. <laughs> yeah, right, no. That's, that's how I was hoping that story was going to end. That sucks. Yeah, kids are not not that nice. Yeah. I realized I framed it in a way that could have made it seem like the perfect gay love story. But, yeah. No. Alas. <laughs> it's okay. It it happens. I mean, this type of stuff happens. Um, it's not uncommon. And, like, that's the thing about when Degrassi does, like, kind of plots like this. Like, on one hand, it's easy to kind of be like, oh, like, you know, why? why? Like, it's so whatever. But also, it's, like, it's such a part of being a teenager. And, like, it's something that a lot of the audience can connect to, whether they are adults who had these moments in their lives or they are kids watching it who are going through it themselves or know somebody who has, like, a secret admirer type of situation. Like, it's something that everyone has, whether it's good or bad, whether it's, like, a positive secret admirer experience or a really embarrassing or a um, upsetting experience. It's, like, kids can't tell their feelings, so... I, I do think that, um, so far, Degrassi has been very anti-decorate lockers. <laughs> yeah, that's never boded well for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, does it, no, this doesn't really count. This is just a rose tape to it. 
Yeah, yeah. So. It's a little little different. There's no stuffed animals being stuck to the locker (laughs) like Manny did. So. We're we're, we're doing it. I know the insides of Degrassi lockers are kind of well-decorated. You know, you get to see a little bit of their personalities, each character's personalities through the lockers. Yeah, which I do um, like. I mean, I decorate the crap out of, out of the inside of my locker, so I relate. Yeah, my locker was just like a pit stop. Like, I never had it kept anything in there worthwhile. I, I had, like, anime screenshots over, like, every surface. Um, it was that and or, like, pictures of, like, Pete Wentz. <laughs> Relatable. Yeah, right? Like, that's that's what it was. I, I would not stick anything because I would be afraid if I put a sticker on it, I would get in trouble. So I just taped them all very carefully. Do kids still um, wrap their books in paper? Yep. And I, book socks, like you know, like there's a lot more book socks, but uh, yeah, they still wrap them in paper. I always made sure to have paper that I could write on because I would yeah. just cover my books in like song lyrics. A lot of kids are like that, um, still. Like not as much song lyrics, although um, a couple days ago I like opened up a kid's like science notes and it was covered in like um, I forget which musical lyrics, but they were covered in musical lyrics. Um, but kids still, like, do that a lot. Like, the kids that like to doodle will actively try to create more services to doodle that they can't get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Which I really appreciate. Um, but yeah, so that's the end of the scene. Um, and then the next time we see this plot kick in... Um, God, is it really that long until it does? Jesus, these B-plots are, like, two, two scenes, I feel like. Um... The next time we see Hazel and Terry chatting, Rick is kind of at a distance um, as they're leaving the school. Um, and as they're kind of chatting about this potential secret admirer business, um, Hazel approaches Manny and is like, hey, Manny, like, you know, if you had feelings for somebody, would you say something about it? Um, and Manny's like, I mean, is the guy single? And, and he's like, yeah. And Manny's just like super like, like, you know, head in the clouds and it's like, oh, yeah, well, of course I would go for it, and kind of, like, stares off at Craig, and Craig makes eye contact with her, and he kind of, like, tries to jump away. It was just kind of, like, him just, like, yikes, and trying to, like, disappear. Um, I think we are skipping over the part where Terry's also just, like, knowing my luck, they'll be from the janitor. Yeah, yeah, there's also that. A lot that of piece. shade being thrown to this janitor, like, this I know. episode. I know, right? Um, I do get her, uh her feelings, though, because it's, like, with Terry, I mean, the only time that we've really seen her potentially have, like, romantic anything was Spinner back in that dance episode, right? Like, which we saw Paige sabotage pretty decisively, and now it makes me realize how much I wish that thread was picked up because Spinner was so into her. And I'm still really bummed that, like, that never really happened. It just kind of goes nowhere. Like, he gets her that speech in the episode where she is a model and wants to quit. Yeah. And then it just is like, okay. (laughs) And then it's just over and he's dating Paige. Yeah. And, like, I don't dislike the... I I hesitate to say that, like, I ship these things. Because, like, even when I was a kid, like, they were het and I did not ship, like, any of the het... 
I do find the relationship being explored between Spinner and Paige to be interesting. I, I have my gripes with it. I don't think it's... Yeah. A, I, I think there are issues, but I like that the issues are being addressed. It's it's engaging to watch for yeah, me. Yeah, I just, like, I'm just not super pumped on it, especially after no, Pride. No, 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 I'm not pumped on it at all. I think it's a, it's a, it's a relationship dynamic worth exploring, but I did really want to see Spinner and Terry at least give it a sincere shot. Yeah. It's just... You know, the way that the cards fell, or for whatever reason, Terry got pushed to the side to a point that that relationship was never really able to be picked up, and I'm a little bummed out about that. Yeah. I still would have my same issues, and they probably would be a really, like, weird couple in the sense that they both kind of go on these conservative jags, but it... it it was a very sincere kind of fondness they had toward each other that, you know, we're not... It's been three seasons we haven't really seen explored outside of those two moments. But, um, as they're kind of chatting about this, um, Toby materializes and just kind of goes, Hello, Clarice! At Terry. What the fuck is going on with Toby this episode? <laughs> it was fucking terrifying. <laughs> I was watching this with my partner who has uh, rarely seen a Degrassi episode and uh, he was like oh god who is that like, <laughs> on screen <laughs> that's the only way to react especially in shit like this because it's like my, my feelings toward Toby are not as, they have they've been on, on an upswing in the grand scheme of things. It, considering how low my feelings toward Toby were at some points, they're better now. It, it was just such a weird acting choice. Yeah! Like, yeah. He's talking low, like, being all shifty, which I get what he's... I don't get what he's trying I don't trying. get it. Why is he quoting it like Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> like, what? That doesn't make me feel, like, any type of, like, intrigued. I'm like, get me the fuck away from this guy. He's gonna eat me, like... <laughs> he's kind of mis mispronounced the word Chianti. <laughs> but, like, I was just like, what? Um, but, yeah, like, he's super, like, weird. And I want to say he's trying to be ominous, but, like... In the process of him trying to come off ominous, he just comes off fucking bizarre. But like he... I thought they were trying. I I thought he was kind of trying to go for like you know uh, suave, flirty, uh, kind of <laughs> you know reserved but still flirting. Um, but it just came off as totally creepy. Like in any way you look at it. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's not even like, I understand him trying to be suave and in the process coming off creepy. Like, I think that that's a very, very fine line that I don't think Toby is adept at balancing. That being said, I feel like even JT would have been like, dude, maybe you shouldn't quote fucking Silence of the Lambs. Like, maybe that's coming off a little too weird. Maybe he saw, like, Hannibal had just come out and... Maybe he saw that and it was just like, you know what? I think, like, Hannah Lecter is pretty charming when he talks to Clarice. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he's like, does this, and he does this for literally the whole entire episode. He acts like this. Um, and Hazel and Terry both kind of look at each other and cringe at the thought that Toby could potentially be the actual secret admirer. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And it has the added um, kind of awkwardness of, like, this is your best friend, because Terry has essentially been Ashley's best friend, um, like, hit her little brother. Yeah. And he keeps, like, you know, he's probably seen her at sleepovers, and that just makes it even creepier. Oh, you're right. Oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, ugh. Yeah, no, you're totally right when you when you put it in that context, which, like, I mean, I guess I do appreciate that the next scene we see this plot pick up, it's not Hazel that is with Terry, it's actually Ashley, and Ashley's like, oh, I think it's funny, like, <laughs> this is like, you know, you could become my future sister-in-law, and like, but now I'm thinking about the sleepover thing, and now I'm just creeped out so much. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I ever had crushes on any of my sister's friends, and I don't think I did. I think mostly because most of them acted a fair amount like Susie, that I was like, nah. <laughs> I was in a really weird collective of people where literally all of them, like, we were all, like, the older sibling. Mm-hmm. And then we all usually had, like, a younger sibling, many of which were in the same grade. There was, like, a two-year age gap, which I feel like is pretty common yeah. with siblings. So, like, we were all the older sibling, and then we all had a younger sibling. So, to have a, if you were going to have a crush, it was going to be on somebody who was two years younger than you, which, like, we were all like, mm, no. Yeah. We're not doing that. So, we didn't really have that. Like, the only person I knew that had older siblings was, like, it was, like, a four-year age gap, I think. So, like, as, as a kid... I saw them as so old. I had, like, a crush on, like, a friend of the sibling, but that was kind of the extent of it. Yeah. I don't know about you, Erica. Uh, so I was the younger sibling who had, um, from my friends, quote, an attractive brother. Oh, um, no. So... I was I was kind of in that position where all my friends would be like, oh, your brother's cute, haha, and I'd be like, okay... He's three years older, and he's my brother, so why are you telling me this? Yeah, I have seen that reaction from, I feel like that's like a very consistent experience for those who are in your position, or just kind of like, cool, that was absolutely useless, thanks. (laughs) Um, There was a young woman um, when I was in college who... um, I'm trying to find a polite way to say this. Um, she enjoyed partying. Okay. A lot. Okay. <laughs> and she, at one point, she said, like, your brother's kind of cute. And she's like, you best step the fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I sometimes feel like, I've, I've often said to my parents and Susie, like, you guys treat me like an endangered panda, <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to constantly watch out, like, <laughs> so, anyway, um, where are we? Uh, we're going to the next scene, so Ashley- so, Does Toby show up again? Yes, because Ashley and Terry are walking, and Toby kind of zooms in front of them and blocks a staircase, like, blocks the staircase, um, and he's just, like, really weird about it, and it's just doing, like, because, like, Toby is, like, also hearkening back to kind of that, like, season one trying to flirt, which is, like, I don't know, am I, type shit. 
Um, oh, it, he, he was not that smooth in season one. No, yeah, I know. Okay, fine, fair enough. He's grown. He whatever time has passed. Um, he, I I would say he yeah he's a bit more confident now than he. Has he is. Been. He is. He's he's yeah yeah. yeah. He's, he's not a better person, but he's more confident. <laughs> he's way more confident. Stronger <laughs> sense of self. Um, but like she, but like he kind of blocks the staircase. Um, kind of flips his hair and everything. <laughs> And Terry's just like, uh, and looking at Ashley, and it's just kind of like, can we take the long way to class? Like, let's go. <laughs> so that's kind of the extent what, of that scene. Yeah, and what gets me with all these scenes of, um, oh my god, Terry and, uh, Toby is that Terry is getting, like, more and more visibly uncomfortable from his presence. Yeah. And, that's, uh, it made me so uncomfortable watching, like, this past scene with the staircase scene. Exactly. She's just so uncomfortable with him, and she's like, I just want to know yes or no so we can, like, clear the air. I, I agree. Like, there's this weird thing going on where it's like, you know, it's even at the end of the episode, I still don't fully know what Toby is trying to do. Like... It, it makes literally this whole thing is just baffling to me. Like, I don't really understand what he's trying to do. I don't know. I, I, I get to a certain extent he's trying to like, well, there's two ways of looking at it. One, is he trying to throw Terry off by acting this way and insinuating that he might be the admirer? Or two, is he deliberately trying to like manipulate her positioning to make sure that um, Rick can, like, put flowers on the locker and things like that. Which would have made more sense if that's the direction they went with. Yeah, but, like, it's not obvious enough for me to discern that. Like, he's blocking the staircase, which reads to me that he is trying to prevent Rick from going, you know, prevent Rick from inter, like, you know, meeting up with Terry by her locker. But, like... It still doesn't make, it's not obvious enough, I feel like, for it to not, for me to, like, buy it as a viewer. Yeah, and all things considered, he could have been talking about, like, she could have been, like, said, like, did you buy salt and vinegar chips? And he's like, did I? And it would still have been just as creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, um, it's just, like, a very odd choice. And like I said, like, it's, it's, the way that they do it, 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 make as you said Erica like it makes her so uncomfortable that like it's really weird to watch him keep going because I don't quite understand the point of why he's gonna keep going with it <laughs> oh my god I just thought of an amazing scene where she's just like you know what I'm done with this Kendra and Kendra just slams him against the lock like did you leave the roses no <laughs> yeah right like where is that? I just want more Kendra, I, which is a weird thing. I didn't think I would feel this way watching it on the podcast, but every single time I'm on an episode, I just think to myself, like, man, I wish Kendra was in this scene. <laughs> She'd beat the snot out of Toby. It'd be great. When all the when Kendra's not on the, on the screen, all the, all the characters should be asking, where's Kendra? Yeah, right? Like, Toby, like, you are uncontrollable. Like, you need to be shoved into your place. Yeah. Um... But yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's very odd. They ask to go the long way. The scene kind of ends. Um, to a point that, you know, it escalates in the next scene. Um, where Terry's, like, really mad and, like, because Toby's, like, 
I don't even know how to frame it. Like, he's just, like, in the way again, basically. And, like, he has, like, a bright yellow science project on in his hands. And she's just, like, you know, you know, like, she grabs a rose from, she has a rose on the locker. She's, like, did you do this? So, you know, what's going on? Um, and Toby's, like, oh, I just did a science report on ESP. And you failed. <laughs> what? Oh, no, Hazel also has an amazing line. Um, this is a Terry scrapbook. I swear to God, I'm calling the police. Yeah, thank you, Hazel. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> thank you. But, like, it's, like, this weird... Once again, the, the escalation is very odd. And also, it's, like, the weird thing about, like... I don't know. It's also weird that he did ESP because Terry's never really... Like, she does, like, fortune-telling and tarot cards and stuff like that. But, like, ESP is, like, a different thing... And I'm just confused. Like, I just feel like there's elements of this plot that are kind of half-assed. I think a lot of the purpose of this plot is just for the sake of... Which I think a lot of the episodes we've been watching kind of suffer from this. I think a lot of them are set up. Because they are... They're transitioning to that serialized approach, right? So, like, a lot of these episodes and the way they handle these plots, it's not the only time they're gonna be done. But almost because of it, they're having this very clumsy transition where they don't quite know how to plant the seeds of these plots just yet. So everything is just kind of like these weird herky-jerky scenes as an attempt to, like, set this all up so that later we can get to episodes that actually do better weaving them into the grander narrative that they're trying to tell. I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, science project Toby was doing. Was it like a school-sanctioned one, or was it just like a personal one? Because I I had a lot of gripes about, you know, him using human subjects without their consent, and, you know, the whole, like, if it is another, you know, Hatsulako's, like, science project that she's making them do. I, I had a lot of, like... It, it made me uncomfortable either way if it was a just like a school-sanctioned science project. I love when we have... I love that you said that because I feel like it embodies why I love when people who are in STEM appear on this podcast because, like, I never think about that. And then, yeah. like, we have somebody with, like, your perspective going, like, wait a second. This is a moral dilemma. <laughs> and I really appreciate it. But you're absolutely right. Like, there is something potentially really kind of it's really unsettling because it's like number one, he's quoting a fictional serial killer. Number two, he's now doing like you know science projects without people's consent. Like, can somebody call home and let them know that they're worried about Toby because I'm worried about Toby. And also, what's his control group? Does he have like a collection of the espers from Akira helping him? Like... Oh fuck! <laughs> it's it's probably just like. JT as his, like, negative control, being like, I can't read minds at all, so... And he just has, like, two subjects, which is just Terry and JT. Yep. I mean, all things considered, you know, they play Calvin Ball with science around here pretty loosely, like... (laughs) They really do. Static electricity, chemistry, look at this boo-boo science fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But yeah, he's just like, you failed! Which also is like, that's not how science projects, that's not how science works. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I scream that at my experiments all the time. So. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a chemist, so they don't, they don't react to it. Fair enough. I, that is very fair. 
<laughs> um, I should have yelled that at every one of my chemistry experiments when I was in high school. <laughs> you failed, Lollipop! You failed! <laughs> this is the one I remember. The only one I always remember is the rock one, where we had to identify rocks, and I remember all, everybody in class trying to bully each other into licking the rock to see if it tasted salty. Because that was, like, a potential identifier. And it was just watching lab mates just go, like, well, you do it. No, I'm not going to do it. No, you do it. Okay. I mean, I guess. It was it was a sight. That's all I remember. I remember kind of more things, but that's, like, the only lab I remember. At least we didn't have to do potions. Potions is a nightmare. For Harry Potter. Yes. Yes. I was like, okay, this is definitely going into not, this isn't like a concept I don't remember from science, right? And it's like, no, it's definitely not. It's just a Harry Potter reference. Okay. Um, anyway, the point is of this whole entire scene, at the end of it, um, Terry is just like, you're not my secret admirer. And Toby's just like, you wish. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Nobody wishes that. <laughs> yeah, right? I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. Well, that's the thing that confuses <laughs> me about Toby's role in this whole entire plot, is I can't tell what the fuck he's trying to do. Like, <laughs> I can't tell if he... I can't tell what he's trying to do because he's so mean during it. Yeah. Like, it's not just, like, a friend trying to, like, you know, help out a, a friend by, like, providing some sort of cover-up. Like... He's, like, very mean during the whole entire thing and, and, and makes Terry uncomfortable and also is, like, willfully trying to, like, belittle her during it. It's, like... It's kind of, like... Or what it feels like to me is they're just, like, okay, well, we can't have JT be JT anymore. <laughs> we, we've re rehabilitated JT, so... Yeah, JT's now one of the cool kids... Hanging out with Paige and whatnot. So we're just going to have Toby in this plotline act like JT. Yeah. This, this reminds me of season two or season one JT act towards Liberty. Yeah. Which sucks. Yeah. Because I hate that JT. Yeah. No. Well, maybe it was kind of like uh, Toby picking up on some of the cues JT uh, kind of dropped as Toby trying to be an impartial science person at... I'm assuming, you know, he's trying to be, he's just emulating what he's seen other guys act to people that they're not attracted to. Awful, but probably true. Oh, but yeah, I'm in pain because I don't think that's a horrible read. So, um, we get to the last scene. Just like the only okay scene in this whole fucking plot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rick, we find out it's been Rick all along placing the um, placing the roses on the lockers. Yep. Terry's at a distance, kind of watching from like one of the uh, corridor window type things. I, I think we also forgot to mention how weird the opening shot of this B plot is, where it's just the rose. Like, the camera's on the rose as it goes towards the locker. <laughs> yeah! I love, when yeah. They, I love when they do that, though. It makes me think of that one shot. Um, I forget what episode it was. I know, I remember Eric, and I think Nikki was in I think girls just want to have fun. I don't remember. Um, the one where it just, like, did this really weird, like, it followed the popcorn bowl for the entirety of the introduction to the episode, basically. <laughs> um, it made me think of that. Yeah, it is girls just want to have fun. Yeah. Because that's... She, um, 
Spike is bringing it to Emma to then drop the snake bomb. Yes. Like, it just makes me think of, like, that camera angle. Um, but Terry sees that it's Rick, um, and they kind of talk about it, and the exchange is pretty sweet. Um, in the sense that it's, like, Terry being, like, you know, I was waiting for you for hours, and him being, like, well, it's not easy being a secret admirer, like, you know, you gotta make sure you time it all correctly, um, and he confesses that he's super shy, she says she's shy, um, but she finds it sweet, um, and they kind of walk together now that this secret admirer business has been revealed. This does remind me of, um... At one point, my buddy and I were talking about, like, oh, what's your favorite um, superhero revealing his identity to his love interest scene? Or just revealing his identity scene. And we're like, oh, how about that one where, like, he take like, the hero takes off his mask and it's like, and the other person says, like, I was hoping it was you. And then we realized that's not a superhero thing. It's from You've Got Mail. <laughs> So, because <laughs> that's not what I was thinking when I saw this scene. It's like, oh, it's the You've Got Mail scene. <laughs> but to be fair, that would make a killer, like, superhero reveal thing. But I was yeah. hoping it was you. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. Honestly, superhero movies should really go back to some of the, uh, not, I don't even know go back is the correct term, but I think of superhero movies and directors of superhero movies return to, like, the, the roots of good romantic comedy. I think we would have some better movies than we're getting right now. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've started, I've started, like, truly accepting this part of myself that I like rom-coms. So I've, like, allowed myself to start watching them and, like, enjoying them. Susie said isn't it romantic, isn't that bad? Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Okay. I still have a death date to you, but it, um, it comes with some major trigger warnings on it. Oh, you think so? Happy death day to you? Really? Yeah. Huh, I had no idea. I mean, the first one was pretty good. I, I haven't seen it. I could not tell you. Yeah. Remember, I don't watch movies. Basically, I, I've only I only watch Friday Night Lights and Degrassi, and that's literally the only two two things I've ever watched. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I mean, it, it's it's a pretty cute reveal. Like I said, it's one of those things where it's very obvious, at least to me, watching it, how they're like really trying to set up. I think especially with a lot of these B plots, they're really trying to establish things that are going to be brought up later. So, yeah, I just feel like I it's going to be like this for a while. Yeah, I think they're I think they're doing a kind of good job of world building in the background. And for me, this scene was kind of super fulfilling because it's the first time you know we get to see Terry. And other than the whole modeling um, plot in the first season, uh, and it's it's a really fulfilling scene. I, like you know, it's it's really cute and. She, she finally gets you know a guy, and it's it's just like an overall really cute thing to see. Yeah, it really is, and it it's interesting watching this because like I find myself, um, at least as I'm doing this on the podcast, like I'm finding myself like very charmed by Terry. I really like her. I think that she's a very sweet kid. 
I think that, you know, she has her flaws, but there's nothing that she can't work on or grow out of. Um, I think that, you know, she's a good fucking friend and doesn't get enough respect for it. And you do have this moment after cheering for her as long as you have, like, to be like, yay, like, oh, I'm glad to see this. And it's interesting because I'm noticing people, both veterans and new folks alike, are, like, watching the series with us during the podcast and are like, oh, like, we like Terry. Like, she's a good kid. And it makes me bummed because it makes me wonder, like, where else this character could have gone before this point? Like, what other plots could we have seen outside of her being a model? Like, what other things could we have seen or just have her be a part of without her just kind of being the listening ear to Ashley for literally the entirety of, like, season two? Yeah, and I also wonder, so when I was, I try to think back when I was, like, little and I watched the series for the first time, and I didn't really remember or, I don't know, I didn't really necessarily have a fondness for Terry, Mm-hmm. But when I was watching it when I was older, I had a much greater fondness. So I wonder if she's just, like, uh, better to adults. Like, she's she's the kid that all the adults like because, you know, she's kind and she's... She, or, like, if she really connected with kids, and that's why the, De, the Degrassi writers didn't write more about her because um, she didn't connect as much to people. Yeah, like, that's what I do wonder, because there are some characters that are reading in a way that I really enjoy. I think Kendra's a really good example of it. I think Terry's a good example of it. But it is something to think about, like, how much of it... Because, like, when I was a kid, like, my favorite characters were Marco, who is another character who is kind. Like, he is a very, you know, he's not always perfect, but overall, I think we can say Marco is a good kid. Um, But also, I could relate to him. So if Marco wasn't gay, if Marco wasn't Italian... Would I necessarily like him as much? I don't know. Could he have been kind of lumped together with kind of Terry as, these are nice kids, but they don't really have discernible enough qualities for me to care about as a teenager. Um, I, I, th- I think for all it, it does, I do think the reason Terry doesn't kind of stand out if you're younger, and I do agree with, you know, y'all's points. Um, I think because, like, when you're younger, you're still looking for the tropes that you've been raised up on. Mm-hmm. And, like, look at the main cast. They all do fit into some fairly standard tropes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Jimmy's the jock. Paige is the queen bee. Craig's the heartthrob. Um, you know, JT and Toby are the nerds. Like, Sean's your bad boy. And... You know, like, so you don't really, wouldn't really pay attention to Terry for a while. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Now that you're, we're older, we're like, okay, well, I know all these characters, but who's this other person who's not quite fitting into any of those tropes? Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's, and that's another thing to kind of think about. It is interesting because, like, I'm finding that a lot of the characters that I really liked, I still like. For the most part, I'm not really feeling like I feel like characters that I felt complicated about. I still feel complicated about characters I loved. I still, for the most part, love. But there are some characters that I'm finding myself like those characters I was apathetic about now are on my radar. Yeah, which is kind of nice, but also kind of depressing because it's like Terry and I know that this is like the most she's gotten in like yeah ages. I like how because you know we're 
uh, we're anime nerds. Now we're just like, ooh, Kendra's our sports jo- anime sports jock. She was ahead of her time. Yeah. So ahead of her time. I swear to God, she must have a time turner to hit all those sports. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. That's kind of all I have thoughts of for the B-plot. I don't know if you two have anything else. Got anything else, Erica? Nope. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Let's get to the A-plot. Um, so our A-plot is where a lot of the content warnings kick in. So general, like, you know, once again, we'll have it minute marked and stuff like that, but be aware. It's, it's kind of heavy from here on out. Um, so this episode opens up with, um, it seems to be some sort of, and I, please, I, I don't know very much about technical terms with armed forces. I don't have anybody in my family outside of like my grandfather who was like in world war ii who was really involved in armed forces like nobody passed that point basically so my terminology is not going to be great it um it looks like uh excuse me it looks like mr nash is being sent on a you know deployment up for a tour duty yeah 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 um so I have a little bit to say about this because my dad was in the military and I kind of grew up in that life, um, which is why I was so excited to talk about this episode. And so it looks like he's in a deployment and they say he's going to Kandahar, which is like during, um, I want to say early Operation Desert Storm slash Gulf War, late Gulf War, um, but of course, like I'm, I'm not one hundred percent on like on the history about this, so I could be totally wrong with that. Um, but it's kind of interesting because uh, they say he's a high high ranking person, like he's a colonel. Uh, but he's kind of going on this um, like a bluebird bus, which is like what they generally do to ship off lower ranking people. Uh, when they go on deployment. So that's kind of interesting. But, you know, they're doing their whole, like, goodbyes, and it's, uh, I assume they're on base or, you know, near where the deploying station is. Uh, I'm I'm not 100% on the Canadian military. All I know is my um, uh, observations of the American military. So, you know, they're saying goodbye, and... It kind of pans to Ellie's mom, you know, while her and her dad are saying goodbye. And Ellie looks concerned at the mom. And she's just talking to other military wives. And her dad says, you know, she's under control. Yes. Which which was a very interesting, like, thing to say. Yeah. Like, a red flag went up as soon as I heard that. It's like, oh, shit. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, um... So, so, and the dad's also trying to, like, establish... It's really interesting how he speaks to her, because it's like, he says, like, oh, like, don't worry, this is a peacekeeping mission. Also, your mom is under control. Um. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I did just look up um, the war in Afghanistan in the Canadian Encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Um, 2001 to 2014. 
It was Canada's longest war and its first significant combat engagement since the Korean War. Oh, wow. So, I think wow. I think he might be part of, like, a NATO peacekeeping group. Yeah, because he said he was for peacekeeping, so yeah. that would make the most sense, probably. Um, this is where I revealed, though I've studied history, my military history is very bad. Um, so, okay, do here. not use me as a consultant. Yeah, that's why I'm yeah. asking. <laughs> Um, Canada's main contribution to the war effort was the maintenance in Afghanistan of an army battle group of approximately 2,000 infantry soldiers. Um, looks like, yeah, they were mainly stationed in Kabul and Kandahar. Okay, so that tracks. Oh, uh, Canada also took responsibility for, took responsibility for provincial reconstruction team in Kandahar, a unit tasked with winning the hearts and minds of Afghan citizens in the area and supporting local government leaders. All right. Oh, wow. Uh, in Kandahar, Canadian force engaged in open combat against Taliban guerrilla fighters. Oof. Yeah. Huh. So. Okay. Well, it sounds like this that as element tracks. I think that's a really interesting point that you made, Erica, concerning, like, the, the, the bus and things like that. Like, I don't know how much of that is just, like, Canadian approach and how much of it is uh, just kind of, like, just detail work that just wasn't quite factored in. Or also just kind of going for that broad strokes image of, like, you know, all these families having to say goodbye and these, like, you know, army wives kind of collecting together. Regardless, um, Ellie's kind of, Ellie's mom approaches and her mom and her dad kind of share kind of awkward, kind of stilted kiss. Yeah. Oh, that kiss. Ellie was so close to their faces. It was so uncomfortable. It really was. And, like, I, I was like, ooh, that's not, that's not good. That's that's not a happy relationship, is it? Ooh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Ellie smiles. Her dad says, like, you know, you need to keep that smile. Like, you know, I want you to keep that smile. Um, before he kind of boards the, boards the bus, Ellie checks in on her mom. Is like, you know, are you Okay. And her mom just kind of snaps, don't make a scene, Eleanor, just shut up and smile and wave. Yeah. Oh, I misread this scene. I thought she was talking to herself. She could be. Yeah, because I, I didn't know if El, Ellie's whole name is Eleanor. I mean, I think this is a, it's it's a line. I think I'm going, I kind of err on the side of, like, I read it as, like, this kind of almost antagonistic line toward Ellie herself. Um, yeah, no, I just looked it up, Eleanor, yeah. Ellie Nash. I mean, I don't think that it's also wrong to read it as almost her mother saying it to herself as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah, like, her mom kind of snapping and, you know, accidentally taking it out on Ellie. Yeah. Um, but I definitely read the scene um, more kind of like you, Donnie, where you, um, it, it was uh, it was harsh on Ellie to be harsh on Ellie. Yeah. Is yeah. how I read it. Yeah, it's very, you can tell that there is, it's, it's interesting because the scene is ultimately pretty brief, but I think it does a pretty good job of establishing the tension that is that family. I think it establishes the tension between the parents. But I also think it does a good job at establishing the very distinct tension that exists between Ellie and her mother. Um, 
and how we may not fully know all the information yet. We don't know what her mom is keeping under control. Maybe it's her temper, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's mental illness. Like, we don't quite know, but we do know that they they have some sort of issue going on. Um, yeah, and I, um, I also think the scene does a good job of establishing how, you know, their family dynamic um, is constantly changing with him being in the military, so... You know, when he's here, it's kind of peaceful. We see them three as a group being dysfunctional but peaceful. Yeah. Um, but then once he leaves, you know, it's all it's a whole different family dynamic. Exactly. It's uh, Dahlia is stuck. Okay, she she righted herself. She like fell into like a crevice and I got a little worried because I was like she's not very she's not very graceful yet because she is a kitten (laughs) and I think she figured it out um but I think that to continue the train of thought Erica I think that you're absolutely right like it kind of shows how um that there is this this very and, and this is something that I'm not very familiar with I did not have family that went into the military but I do know that people that I know whose parents have done it or have gone through it or students I know who have gone through it, even if it's not as chaotic as what Ellie is talking about, there is a distinct difference between, like, when your parent is deployed and when your parent is back and how, like, it kind of, it it causes a cycle of sorts that, you know, it's going to be an upswing when the person is back because they're back and it's going to cause some sort of calm of some assortment but here we're seeing like you know a really potentially dark way that that cycle as it continues can really hurt the family yeah and I can I can also say that um, with my experience um, seeing others as well um, I've seen families where there does become kind of a deployment lull where Mm -hmm. after the you know the person in the military does go on deployment there is kind of this emptiness that uh takes over the house where the family has to get used to the shifted dynamic and even when they come back it can still be um interesting because you do have to go through that period of adjustment of um your family readjusting to this new way of life Mm -hmm. so but it seems like it seems like they've all done this before from this scene. Yeah. They seem like, oh, this is just another one. Like, you know, we've been through this before. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's true. Like, Ellie isn't, like, Ellie's sad. Like, she looks, ups- like, you know, she doesn't look happy, but she's not in tears. Like, she's not sobbing. She's not having a breakdown or anything like that. And I thought it was interesting because in the long shot, you see another teenager kind of doing a similar thing, kind of sitting on the ground and kind of just, you know, his head is against his knees type deal. Um, And and I thought that was a very interesting little touch to see, like, how, you know, you have these little kids and they're hugging their parents and they're holding up signs and all of this stuff, but then you also see some of the older kids who are more used to this trend have gone through this before and are just, you know, they're, they're bummed out, but ultimately they're not going to respond as viscerally as a kid who has only started going through this cycle. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I don't know. It just reminds me of, um, 
when I was in college, there was this young woman who was dating a young man who was, um, he was also deployed in Afghanistan, and the only time they could openly communicate with each other was, like, our time, 10 p.m. on a Friday. Oh, for shit. For about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And they made it work, though. And when he, uh, when she got out of college, she went to med school, you know, in the military. Mm-hmm. And they got married, and now they have two, like, very lovely children. I'm just super, I'm, it's also, like, the fact they made it work through all that, I'm just like, man, good for them. Like, um, and their first deployment was for three years in Hawaii. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, she is also like somebody I admire pretty greatly as well. Mm-hmm. Cause she's also spoken out recently about like women, like in emerging situations, like somebody get a doctor and like, I'm a doctor. It's like, you're a woman. We don't believe you. So yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, die then. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so, so the next time we see, so we have the credits roll, the next scene that we have, Ashley is checking in about Ellie, um, and it's specifically about, about her dad, and, and I do like this, I feel like it's very consistent with Ashley to kind of stick her nose in people's business, because that's just how Ashley is, and I also appreciate this because I think, you know, Ashley and Ellie have only really been friends for one school year, Ashley's probably not used to this at this point. So, of course, she's going to be, like, worried about Ellie and how she's doing with her dad being gone. And, of course, Ellie is going to look at it as just kind of like, it happens. Like, <laughs> he goes. Uh, he, he comes back. Yeah. Uh, I, I've kind of experienced that where, you know, I have friends who I'm like, oh, yeah, my, you know, my dad's leaving. And everyone's kind of, like, concerned. They're like, oh, are you okay? Like, is it going to be okay? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he does this all the time. Like, um, and so, you know, at her age, you kind of get used to it, um, depending, of course, on the situation and how, like, much her dad works. But, um, so I can understand her kind of brushing Ashley off. Like, you know, this is probably Ashley's first time dealing with someone who's, uh, dad leaves for months at a time, years at a time even. Um, and she's just kind of like, oh, another day. Like, just my reality. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, I mean, military is where we see this a lot. But um, I actually worked with a student whose dad would do, like, basically, like, go to teach in South Korea. For, like, a couple, like, of, like, nine months or whatever it is. Like, a whole, like, school year, basically. Come back, like, you know, for breaks. And then leave again. Like, literally, depending on the calendar. Like, he, he was, like, a professor there. And then would come back to the U.S. And it was very interesting because, like, she she had gone through this experience for quite a bit at this point. And when I was talking to her, I was like, what do you mean your dad's, like, not around? Like, you know, I kind of asked her about it. And, and she's just like, oh yeah, like he's teaching. And I was just like, oh, and she's like, it's fine. Like he'll come back at blank. Like he'll come back for, you know, the holidays. He'll come back, you know, in the summer. And and it's interesting how, I mean, I think that kids are incredibly resilient Mm -hmm. in many ways. And I think that, you know, they, like kids deal with so much and it's easy to kind of forget, especially if you come from a family that doesn't have to deal with that. 
But like, it's very interesting seeing it in media and also hearing it from kids and hearing it from, in our case, you, Erica, like how if it becomes normalized, like a kid's going to learn how to have to work with it because they have to. An interesting tidbit I actually found out recently is this is actually also kind of the reason Robin exists from Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, kids back in the 40s were looking to comic book uh, heroes as surrogate father figures because, you know, their parents were either like left because of the Great Depression or, you know, went to war. Mm -hmm. And so like DC was just like, hey, kid sidekick. So now these kids can truly like... You know, imagine themselves being a child to Batman, essentially. Oh. Interesting. And then, like, there just kept being more teen sidekicks coming out of the woodwork. Interesting. So. Huh. So. It makes sense. Um, but yeah, Ashley's, like, really worried. Ellie is just like, you know, whatever. I gotta focus on interviewing for my co-op, um, which is gonna be at Caitlin's TV show. Um... So, because I don't know if you two know this, I know this because I've worked with Canadian youth. Um, Co-ops are very common in Canadian education. Um, Like, all my kids did it. Um, And it, you know, it's just kind of, it's working in a a field that you have interest in, that the school maybe, that the school is able to get a hold of. Um, And it's a pretty cool thing, honestly. Like, a lot of the kids that I talked to spoke very highly of their experience having a co-op, which I really liked. Because, like, American schools, unless they're, like, very specific American schools, don't really have them. I taught a class kind of like a co-op, which was really fun. Um, But it's not something that we see often enough in American education, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, At my school, at my high school, we had, like, a kind of co-op situation, but it was mostly, like, for people who wanted to be educators, and you could Mm -hmm. get credits for shadowing teachers. Okay. Uh, So, I did that. I worked with first graders. It was fun. That's cool. Um, I, I taught a program, there's, like, a national program called WISE. Um, I forget what it stands for right now. Um, but it's a, it, it encourages kids to kind of do a, uh, basically like it ended up being like 13 weeks in our school, uh, program based on something that they were interested in or they had a passion for or something. So we had kids who did like kind of like an education shadowing type deal. Um, we had kids doing like learning a craft, like we had kids do blacksmith, like blacksmithery and it was like really good. Like they learned a whole lot. That's so cool. Yeah. Like there's one. There's apparently, like, a, there's apparently a place, it's, like, not terribly far away from us, Frank. It's about, like, an hour out. And, like, the kid drove out there, like, every Saturday and, like, learned how to be a blacksmith. And, like, the guy has, like, a protege who's, like, freaking, like, 15-year-old who just, like, really is good at it. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> I had so much fun teaching that class. Hey, kids, we're gonna make some goddamn swords! Yeah, no, he learned how to... I had... <laughs> One of the funniest moments of my life. So the big thing that we had was they had to do a presentation about, like, their experience and, like, what they learned. And it was open to the public. And it was at the school. Um, And he made a knife. And he was like, I want to show the knife, but I don't know how to do it. Like, you know, how do I have, how can I do it? And the principal was like, okay, okay, Donnie, you have to, you have to handle the knife pretty much at all times unless he is presenting. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, I need you to go downstairs like about like half hour before his presentation. I need you to bring the knife up to, 
up to the library, like on the second floor where, where he is presenting. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. So there's this one moment where I'm walking down the halls holding a knife and, and, and like, you know, like people are looking at me, kids are looking at me. And I'm just like, it's for a presentation. It's for a presentation, please, please. It's fine. It's cool. The principal knows. The principal knows. And like all the kids are like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, but he made it himself. He did it. I feel like I couldn't have done that because they would have been just like, Frank, stop emphasizing every point with a table stab. Never! <laughs> he, was, he did not do that. He was good. Um, he, he understood that. He could not get away with that. No, I meant if I was told to handle the knife. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was good. I I, I was way too nervous. Because in my head, I was like, this is like, you know, what would happen to me. Somebody would think I was sincerely holding this as a weapon. And, and you know, it would be a big to-do. But, uh, I mean, he made it. He did it. He did a great presentation. But, um, anyway, co-ops are very common in Canadian education. It's really cool. I really like them as a concept. Um, I try not to give too many hot takes on education on this show, but I think we can agree that co-ops are not a bad idea for kids to experience, as long as they are decent co-op opportunities. Yeah. Because it's just like... That... Yes? Oh, I was... Uh, you can go. No, m mine wasn't important. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I was... I was going to say, and this one with Kaylin Ryan seems like super cool, super, it seems doable for a kid to do. You know, she works one day a week, yeah. um, which they mention, um, or like the person who gets a job works one day a week. And, um, and it's with Caitlin Ryan, who is a known Degrassi person. So yeah. it's just another way to get Caitlin in. Yeah, and it also kind of makes sense because I know that in our experience running our program, like a lot of our connections were like the ones who kept coming back and were willing to really help see the event, uh, help see the class thrive were alum, were people who's, you know, who had kids in the school district, things like that. Like those are the people that really help make those kind of programs work. So the fact that Caitlin, who is, in, who is a graduate of Degrassi, was like, yeah, sure, I'll take somebody, is, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so, Ellie... Oh my god, I just want there to be a co-op of somebody at the car lot. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, okay, so, Spinner, get under this car for me, we're gonna turn back the spinometer a little bit. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> no, you know who needs to work at the car lot? Uh, Sean. Sean just freaking learning he's like you know sean you know you know a lot about cars but like do you know how to sell them and sean just like Ugh. <laughs> so is this good for family i don't know <laughs> do i look like somebody who has a family <laughs> oh that's dark but i feel it um can you imagine the music like yeah you know we're, we're really we're really interested in um you know we were really interested in something that you know is a little flashy kind of pops a little bit and it's like i can i can make your horsepower go faster <laughs> give me the parts. i can paint it red <laughs> <laughs> like he's just like i don't know but um Man. so now i'm not gonna i'm just gonna rant about how it's bullshit that like red paint ups your insurance rating there's a lot of weird things about I had a, car I had a 96 Volvo, and they were like, we're going to up this like an extra 100 bucks because the car's red. It's like, do you know how slow this thing is? Yeah, right? 
Oh. It gets to 60 in maybe seconds. <laughs> but um, regardless, Ellie is kind of fretting about this interview a little bit. Um, and mostly because it appears that there are two people. It is down to her and Paige. And she is kind of ready to accept that it's very possible that Paige is going to get it because of how drastically different they are as people. Um, and Ashley is just like, well, Ellie, like, you got to get it because you care about social issues. Meanwhile, like, pa Paige just cares about social life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, is this the point where, um, they come in, like, they're sitting in class? Uh, it goes to the next scene, um, where, so, like, that's where Ellie comes in and, like, asks Marco about the homework. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, as she's asking, Paige kind of storms in. Um, she's in an interview outfit, so she's in, like, a pencil skirt and a blazer. Um, it kind of doesn't quite fit her, like, like uh, you know, she usually, like, her clothes usually would. Um, I, I feel like this is barred from her mom. Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. And she's just kind of, like, talking about how stressed out she is and how she had to talk to her mom. And it was, like, you know, talking to her mom about preparing for the interview. And, like, you know, she's doing this toward Ellie. And it's pretty obvious from the jump to me. I don't know if that's obvious to you two that this is clearly a power play. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> okay, good. I was just making sure. Because, like... I was like, oh, this is obviously a power play, but I, I, you know, I'm also just used to Paige's shenanigans every week. I know when she's not sincere. There, There is definitely a point where we switch from, like, I was just like, Paige, I'm really not liking you in this moment, to like, okay, Paige, you're back. <laughs> I think the thing about this episode is, I think it, and we'll t we can talk more about this later, because, you know, Paige's intentions change as the episode, when the episode ends. Um, but I think they were really angling for it to have that kind of old school, like, prep versus punk type dynamic play out. Yeah. Like, kind of going back to that kind of thing, which I, I don't feel like Degrassi has really done all that much outside of, like, you know, people being... Because, like, with Paige, even though she found Ashley's, like, kind of goth jump to be a little jarring... She didn't necessarily think it was, like, bad, you know what I mean? Like, she still was like, you know, oh, like, you know, you don't look... Like, she kind of gave Ashley compliments on her look sometimes and things like that. So, we didn't necessarily have, like, this, like, deeply entrenched, like, like, goth versus prep type thing that I feel like was really big during this era. I don't really see it as much anymore working with kids. I think there's always going to be the, that I'm not like the other girls kind of sentiment that a lot of kids have to grow out of. Yeah. But when I was in school at the time that this like this episode was happening, like that was huge. Like, you know, you may joke about it with like my immortal and shit like that. But like it was pretty, pretty deep. Like the I am not I am a. I am a goth. I am an alternative-looking person. Fuck preps. That mentality was kind of real to a certain extent. Yeah. Like, Susan... Yeah. Erica? Yeah, I was just agreeing. Um, and I think there's always going to be different types of, the, like, me versus them. Yeah. Because um, I know I had, like, different iterations of that growing up, um, where it was always, like, two-sided. Like, um, 
you know, like ninjas versus pirates for some reason was my big thing when I was um, younger, so. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. But yeah, like, I feel like there's always going to be something. In this case, it was this in this episode. Yeah. Um. But Armstrong comes in. Well, really, it's the thing that you, you can tell that Ellie is uncomfortable as Paige is talking about it. Um, it kind of read like it was really like that, that bit. Like, I mean, she's rattled, obviously, but you can kind of tell like the whole thing about like the mom aspect seems to kind of cut a little. Yeah, that was kind of. So I read this as Paige intentionally mentioning moms. Interesting. I don't know. That because, that I don't know. Because the thing is, we've seen them all hang out for a while. Yeah. And either, I feel like it came from either Ashley or Ellie talking about the situation. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing is, as much as I like Paige, and it's quite a lot, Paige is ruthless at times. It's true. Like, when she has her heart dead set on something, she will do what needs to, like, in her eyes, what needs to be done. Like... Yeah. And I'm not even talking about the, what, you know, the less harmful stuff, like, you know, like, consorting with the Ouija board and whatnot, like, oh, I want Spinner, I'm going to, like, get Terry drunk. Yeah. Like, oh, I want this job, because, this like, I mean... I feel, I feel like it's exponential mm-hmm. with um, Paige, where it's just like, okay, how much will this matter? And, like, now that, like, she sees her, basically, like, her dream, the biggest dream on her dream board coming true, she will play a bit dirtier. Yeah, I mean, I didn't quite read it as that, mostly because I just don't no like i just don't know in terms of like how much ellie really has disclosed this type of stuff yeah because like if things have been okay because her father has been home would she necessarily disclose that to anybody i don't know i don't know that's the thing like i don't know i think i don't think your read is wrong i just didn't read it that way because in my head i was kind of like i don't really see ellie as the type of type of girl to do that and with Ellie, like, she's also kind of a kid who tries to, which, of course, I think opens her up to se- to being a kid who would be susceptible to self-harm. A kid who's going to keep her issues kind of to herself. Yeah. Like, we saw that happen with her thing with Marco. Like, the fact that she did not get out of that whole entire thing and just trash talk him or, you know, vent about him and just kind of kept it to herself and, and you know, did what she felt was, was the right thing to do. I don't necessarily see her as one to disclose that information about her mother. I also think a thing that with kids that are going through this type of stuff, and I say that as a kid who was dealing with, not with alcoholism, but with, like, a, a potentially, like, not great home life, I was very, very terrified to disclose anything because I did not want social services to get involved. Yeah. I think you I think you have a fair point. Yeah. I mean, like, once again, I don't think that's a wrong thing. And I think that that also... So I think it could go either way. I think you could read it as Paige being aggressive and, and trying to hit it where it hurts or just Paige bringing up this because this is how Paige operates. She is kind of careless with this type of stuff. 
And that being what actually really rattles Ellie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was going to say, I think it does. I think it was just Paige trying to be like, oh, like, uh, you know, my mom helped me. And, like, trying to rattle Ellie that way by just being like, oh, I got extra help. Yeah. Um, and instead, it acts like it rattled her in a completely different way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, it's, like, one of those things, like, once again, I think it's totally power-playing. It's just the way that she power-plays ends up being more effective than Paige ever intended. Um, so the next, so Armstrong comes in, he says that they have a pop quiz, um, and Paige kind of continues her power-play, passing the quiz off to Ellie. She says something, but I kept missing it. I, like, tried listening to it three times, and I kept missing it. Break a leg, hon. That's what she said. Okay, that's what I thought she said, but I wasn't positive. Um, but yeah, she's just kind of, you know, whatever. Then we get to the next scene. Ellie's holding the quiz, and she got a 48%. How oh. the fuck did Armstrong grade that quickly? What was interesting was, you know, Armstrong asked Paige to pass it out, and she just, like, passes it behind her. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, fuck you, Armstrong. I'm not listening to you. Like, Okay. Um, but it's true. She, she doesn't really help with that situation. Um, but, um, yeah, so Ellie gets, like, a 48%. Marco is coming in, and Marco, oh, my sweet Gaby, um, my Gaby boy, he's, like, freaking out because he says he doesn't do very well on the quiz because he got a B plus. Oh, no, his average. <laughs> Will somebody think of his average? When people... Spoke like that when I was in high school. They got the dirtiest looks from me. <laughs> I, my problem was, was like, I, that was me, but only in math. And like, my problem was, I was like you, Frank, but only in like math and science. If it was like social studies or English, the classes that I did really well in, I would be livid. But like, if it was math and science and like my friends were saying that to me, I'd be like, shut up. I'm lucky if I got like a C minus. <laughs> like, fuck you, buddy. As somebody who had to that- Yes? Oh, I was going to say, I was definitely the person who was complaining about my, like, you know, B+. Plus. <laughs> I, I even had my TA in college make fun of me once, because I was like, oh, I only got, like, a... Uh, my professor used to give off stars based off of, like, the bracket you were in. So you got, like, a silver if you got above a 70, or, or above an 80, and you got a gold if you got above a 90. And I was, like, complaining. I was like, oh, I got a silver star. And he was like, what'd you get? Uh, you know, an 89? And I was like, an 89.5. Oh, they didn't round up? What a dick. No. <laughs> it was, and it was an organic chemistry, too, which, like, Oh, wow. Know, Wow! Not to like brag. But. No, 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 no! Brag away. That I have seen many a person crumble after over Orgo. So like, please. Orgo was my excuse to get out of everything. Like in my years of college, I'd be like, "Oh, I gotta go study Orgo," and like, "Aren't you a history major? Whatever, I gotta go study." Wow. Until because it was a perfect excuse because nobody ever doubted you had to go study Orgo. Yeah. And then, um, and then, uh, somebody was just like, hey, you want to go study Orgo? And it just became such a reflex, like, nah, I gotta go study Orgo. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, kudos to you, like. Yeah. For, (laughs) 
I'm always impressed when somebody can do something that I have just, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just going to burn out and fail immediately. <laughs> oh, I've watched people do that. I've watched people like not, like have to change their degree because they couldn't, they couldn't crack it. Yeah. So like, good for yeah. you. It's like, you know, it's like teachers. I'm very like envious of teachers. Not, well, not envious, but very like awestruck by teachers or scientists or mechanics because I'm just like, you can make the car go well. Yeah, mechanics are very <laughs> impressive, to be honestly. I, I'm i always in awe of mechanics. The best I can do is play Car Simulator 2015 on my, <laughs> on my laptop. Oh my gosh. Which is vaguely, for some reason, very soothing. I don't know why. Yeah. Um. I can, I can kind of, I get it. Um, but, so, um, Marco is venting about that, and Ellie is about to be like, uh, you know, she's just scary, like, whatever. And Marco's very shocked that she's so calm, and she's about to admit that she didn't do so great. And, like, as soon as she's about to try and get those words out, Marco is utterly distracted because Dylan is, like, across the cafeteria taking off his sweatshirt. And, like, a fucking little, little (laughs) gaby, he runs over to to talk to Dylan. I love this so much. I love how he just, like, took his whole tray. He was like, I, I need an excuse. Like. <laughs> it's, I feel bad for Ellie. I do. I, I do. Because, like, I, I've been on both ends of this, this, this thing. Like, you know what I mean? I've been the friend who's had to watch somebody go through a crush and be infuriated, and I've been the person having a crush. Um, that being said, I do appreciate, especially at this point, especially after Pride, which was so hard to watch, it is, it does kind of go back to it. It's nice to see that kind of gay joy that yeah. I I don't, I've realized, I feel like I'm, I didn't really appreciate it at the time when I was a kid, but I think a lot of it just had to do with like, I was not, I didn't live very much yet as a gay person. I didn't live very much yet as a person in general that I didn't quite realize how much as an adult I would appreciate these scenes. But like, it's nice to just see him be like, a weirdo kid who has a big old crush and you know he just wants to be near his crush and it's nice because I think that especially in that era and I think media still kind of struggles with this it's really hard to have your LGBTQ characters like operate in a way that is within like with each other it kind of feels like they're very isolated especially in this time period where you can have like one character be gay But, like, you know, that doesn't mean very much. Now we actually see, like, two characters genuinely into each other, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I I also feel like in a lot of current media, um, it's, like, it's more about, like, big moments. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, these little moments of, like, the day-to-day thing. Like, I feel like this, if Degrassi was made today, um, like... There would have been pride, and then the next episode would have been this whole big thing of, like, Marco asking Dylan out, like, because, like, and you're just jumping straight from one to the other. Yeah. Like, it's literally happening within, like, three or four days, and, like, Degrassi's like, no, we get it, like, you might be starting to come to terms with who you are, but you're still, like, what, how old all these kids are, like, 13? No, they're they're like fifteen now. Fifteen. Paige so. just turned sixteen. Okay, so like Marco's still fifteen, so he still needs to like 
dance around the idea of asking out Dylan for, like, a while. Exactly. Like, I, I agree. I think that there is something very... I feel like especially... I feel like in general, like, I think that a lot of media really lacks those, like, little moments when it comes to relationships in general. So it's nice to see these these kind of little things that happen. Because, like you said, like, a relationship is not going to media kind of portrays it as like these big defining moments but in actuality like it's those little things and I think those are the things that a lot of LGBTQ viewers want to see like we want to see the hand holding we want to see the foreheads touching and we want to see that just be it for a second not necessarily like these huge monologues about being gay and identity and things like that yeah because it's just it's like yeah like, it's just, like, all those little moments build up to that big moment. Yeah. It's just, like, you know, I described my my uh, asking out my college girlfriend, but before that, there was, like, us just hanging out mm-hmm. a bunch, and me not kind of being like, oh, yeah. you're, you're nice and whatnot to me, cool. And her, I'm sure her just going back to her room, it's like, I don't know what the fuck I need to do with this this nerd like um then me talking to my college roommate and her being like yeah i'm friends with her big she told me she your her little has a giant crush on you nice yeah like i like those little moments but um regardless marco zooms uh and Paige (laughs) takes his seat and ashley also joins um, and Paige is just kind of like, oh, it must suck watching your ex flirt with my brother. And, like, you know, just really laying on this power play type thing that she's trying to do. Um, and as they're kind of sitting there, Sauve is here, which is the first time we've really seen her in a while, which was, it was nice to see her again. Um, she appears, Wait, yes. Um, before that, I just want to mention Paige says, like, a really great line, which was something like, huh, sucks to be straight. And then yeah. just goes on about like <laughs> about how um, like you know, and then she goes on about how it sucks that like her ex boyfriend's into her brother now. But it's true. She I forgot that was her transition point into it. It's like okay, thanks. Like, but who's, but who's it sucking for? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Wait, does it, it suck for Ellie to be straight? It sucks for all of them to be straight, I guess. <laughs> okay, I'll it's, buy that. It's an unfortunate, it's a, it's a misfortune shared by way too many people in the population. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, <laughs> yes? I thought that was very forward of her to be like, you know, because we, I feel like I hear that sentiment a lot um, in current like, media, I yeah. guess, where people are like, you know, oh, you know, it sucks to be straight, but her saying that 10, 15 years ago, that's really, uh, really forward of her. It's true. It's it's definitely um, something that you hear a lot of, um, I feel like a lot of straight women say it to, like, gay men and things like that a lot of the time. But like you said, like it is very interesting that uh, Paige just lay, like puts it out there. Or rather, I feel like it's a lot of like straight women saying it to like gay people in general. Like I feel like they say it to like their like lesbian and bi friends that are girls and stuff like that too. But yeah, no, I absolutely yeah. agree. I absolutely agree. It's like this weirdly uh, contemporary viewpoint of like how straight people like 
tokenize their the gay people in their life. I'm I'm on the Degrassi transcript uh, website again, and I also forgot how good Marco Marco's line is. Oh, Dio mio. Um, yeah, hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, but. So, so they have this exchange, so Vey appears, she has these kind of, like, applications for their co-op. Um, she compliments Ashley because it sounds like her co-op is at a record company? I don't know how the hell she secured that one, but good for her. <laughs> um, and Paige, like, to, to go through the application, puts on these reading glasses, which are, like, these black cat-eyed ones with, like, little, like, rhinestones on the side. <laughs> Ashley's like, when did you start wearing glasses? <laughs> I fucking love this because it's just such a kid thing to do. It's like, yeah. oh, I'll be serious, taken seriously. If I'm wearing glasses, I'm also going to get the most ridiculous pair of fucking glasses I could find. I know it's so fucking silly. It's like it's very like season one page, and like this like yeah. it's just very comical and like. Trying to be intimidating and doing it pretty pretty okay, but like in like a way that's just very comical for you as a viewer. Uh, but yeah, like she like puts them on, um, and they ask about like you know what her goal is, and she's like, well, duh, I want to be an anchor woman. And Ellie takes a lot of issue with this because um, it kind of reiterates to her how how vapid she kind of port- she views Paige in this whole entire thing and she points out that like you know the co-op is not on camera it is behind the scenes it's researching it's doing all that type of stuff so of course Ellie's really upset about how like this kind of mocks the position and you know Paige is engaging with her and like you know asking her like what she's putting as her goal and things like that she leans over toward Ellie and knocks off, like, grape juice, it looks like, all over Ellie's shirt, which is a wonderful little Hot Topic number with some buckles on it, but most importantly, is stark white. I, I love Ellie's choice where she was like, I need to look, you know, different and nice for my interview, so I'm going to wear white. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a goth, so that's totally out of my fashion style. Yeah, and like, I'll wear a skirt, a plaid skirt, so, like, they know that, you know, I, I understand, I understand a work, I understand, like, uh, you know, uh, clothing requirements. See? Look at me. <laughs> she tried, though. I get it. I get it. Yeah. She, she's, I think one of the things about Ellie that we've seen consistently throughout the you know, season and uh, change that she's been on is that she's so definitively herself, which is what I also really like about this issue that she has with Paige, because I, I don't necessarily like to see girls fight. I don't want to say that, but I understand, I, I believe why Ellie would have an issue with Paige, because Ellie is so true to herself and so true to what's right that Paige appears to be violating and going against that, so Ellie is going to have an issue with her. Mm. Um, and we see that in many ways, but we also see it in the way that they choose to dress, where Paige is going to wear, like, her mom's, you know, professional suit look, but Ellie is going to definitively stay true to herself and not be something she's not, even if it is a slightly, to her, a more formal version of herself. Yeah. Um, but she gets the juice all over her dress, like, all over her top, um, 
and she kind of storms off to try and clean it, and <laughs> Ashley kind of glares at Paige, and, <laughs> and Paige is just like, it was an accident, and then just kind of like gestures wildly a bit <laughs> to show that she is full of shit. I thought this was one of the more sincere moments of Paige, where, you know, she wasn't doing it on purpose to, because, uh, you know, she takes it too far a lot of times, but mm. this one seemed kind of genuine to me. I think she she's gonna, I, I think the spill is debatable, the intent. I think that she, she will admit that she was trying to, like, power play, but I do do understand, like, I do agree that, like, it could also be read as her just kind of going beyond what she wanted, like, because I think, I don't know, it's Paige is hard to tell, because sometimes I feel like Paige wants a fair fight. She wants to win, but she wants a fair fight. But I think that she also is rattled enough by Ellie that she wants to kind of stoop to some of these lower techniques where I think Paige a lot of time is like, I'm the queen, and I fucking know it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, with Ellie, she's like, oh, shit, like. Well, you gotta remember, Ellie has never kowtowed to Paige. That's true. So, like, it's just how do you stop a how do you stop a bully? You stand up to the bully. Yeah. Like, and I wouldn't say Paige is a bully, but like, Paige does deal in power politics. Yeah, yeah, and and Ellie has consistently, yeah, from, from the jump has never like, you know, is, she's not gonna move her seat. Yeah, she's not gonna like you know. Just do things because she's being told to by Paige. Like, she's always been kind of a source of strife for Paige in terms of, like, she's, like, kind of the one person who hasn't really fallen under her spell or been forced under her spell. Yeah. Um, so, hold on. What is my cat playing with? Oh, it's a toy. It's safe. Okay. Sorry. I had to make sure. Um, anyway. Um, so... Um, they can play with that. That's fine. I know. I want to play with them. (laughs) Um, anyway, so, Ellie is in the bathroom. She's trying to scrub her shirt. Um, and she's obviously very upset about this. I mean, let's be real. Like, no, it's okay. That falls off. Okay. So, they'll, they'll just play with the string, honestly, as you can see. Um, so they run into this issue. So she runs into this issue. She's like, it's kind of obvious. It's not really coming out. I mean, it's grape juice. That that shit's not coming out with just like you know yeah. scrubbing. Um, it's over. Um, so she, she, the next scene, she's at the station. Caitlin is inviting her, like you know, kind of sending Paige out, inviting her for the interview. And Ellie is wearing like a floor length rain, like yellow rain jacket. Which, like, where'd she get that? I'm very curious. In my mind, it looks kind of like um, uh, like a lab coat you might have. Like, you know, she kind of yeah. stole it from the science room. Or, like, maybe, like, a smock from, like, an art class. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, something like that. It was a very peculiar, obviously trying to cover up the, the mess look. Um, and Caitlin asks her, like, you know, you can take off your jacket. And Ellie just kind of jumps into complimenting Caitlin, specifically speaking to how um, she was, like, really invested in, like, a tent city piece and how she actually interviewed somebody who was participating in it uh, for the grapevine and things like that. Um, But, of course, she's very nervous, and when Caitlin asks her about certain details, she doesn't quite have them 
very easily. But Caitlyn is also, this is probably one of the nicest, like, most, like, she, like this is probably the most professional I've ever seen Caitlyn be and the most graceful I've ever seen Caitlyn be. Well, at one point, oh, yeah. at one point, Ellie, like, wipes at her face and, like, her eyeliner gets smudged. Yeah. Because I'm assuming she's also sweating pretty hard. Yeah. And I, I want Caitlyn to be like, you look the way I talk. <laughs> Um, so, kid, you and me are on the same wavelength. <laughs> yeah, but, like, she, I think, she's, she's very, but she's still very good. She doesn't make a big deal out of it. And also, when Ellie forgets information, she kind of guides her, which is very sweet. Like, so, like, you know, she's, like, when she can't remember the guy that she interviewed at, at the uh, Tent City, she goes, oh, like, can you describe him for me? And then Ellie gives a description and, you know, they're able to come to the name together and things like that. Like, it's it's a very sweet moment that, that like, you know, Caitlin is just showing that she can she can actually work with kids, which is miraculous because I was beginning to lose faith. <laughs> I really want to know what that page interview was like. Oh, my God. Ugh. So, I love your style. I think you're great. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh boy. Yeah, like how long how when can I cut the cord on this one? Like how many minutes do I have left? Um but yeah, so like, you know, the the interview seems to go pretty okay. It's not perfect, obviously. Um, but you can tell that Caitlin thinks that Ellie has something to offer, and you can tell that Caitlin is not just writing her off either. Um so the next scene that we see, we see Ellie coming home, um, and her mom is asleep on the couch. Um, and Ellie just kind of goes into cleanup mode. She puts takeout down. She cleans up all the bottles of vodka and the ashtray that are on the coffee table. Um, which, you know, are our way to know that uh, her mom is, you know, struggling with alcoholism. Um, which is the second week in a row we've had alcoholism discussed. Which, I don't know if that was intentional or not with having wheels come back, but it happened. Um, and, um, you know, she's trying to talk to her mom. Her mom's, like, really not with it. She's just kind of conked out. Um, and her, you know, she's talking to her mom and talking about how her day was terrible, um, and how, you know, she has food, and the mom just kind of only wakes up enough to be like, that food smells fucking awful, and, like, conks back out. Yeah. Um, we see she's drank a lot. Yeah, about one and a half bottles of vodka. Yeah, it's. I'm always very. I don't know. I'm. I'm always very curious about how al alcoholism is portrayed, and I can't speak to it necessarily because it wasn't really something that impacted my life that much. But I always wonder how writers' rooms approach alcoholism and talk about alcoholism. Because I feel like this is such an overt version of it. Like, it's a very... It, it's showing it in a way that's very debilitating. In the sense that, like, she's just conked out. Like, on the couch. Doesn't appear to have a job. Doesn't appear to have any real, like, anything that she's really doing outside of it. I mean, this feels very real to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, like, she's not, you know, um, she's not a young person. 
Yeah. So it's not like alcohol is like, you know, party fuel, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, she is just going to drink enough to get her numb. Yeah. And Ellie is following the enabling pattern of somebody dealing with somebody in this state. My, like, I mean, they don't do the thing which always annoys me of, like, oh, you know, alcoholics are super fun to be around. Yeah. Like, it's like, no, no, they are not. I guess my thing is, like, I feel like, I, I'm curious, like, how writer's rooms kind of approach this. I feel like this is a very, like, I feel like this is a type that I see in media kind of often. We don't really see, we, we sometimes see, like, people who are functioning, but... A lot of the time, like, um, like I feel like you usually get kind of like a, a Gregory House type of situation of an addict. Or, like, you rarely get kind of like a, this person's functioning, but they're not good. They don't necessarily have, like, a, a genius to them that is, like, everybody's excusing. It's just kind of the way it is. Well, the thing, the thing about alcoholism that I found in my life is that, like... It stops when you can't maintain it anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've known people who've had enough money that, like, they can support their alcoholism pretty pretty well. And, mm -hmm. like, you can't convince them otherwise because it's like, well, it's not a problem because I'm not suffering for it. Yeah. Um, but then, like, you know, somebody in a lower strata of financial strata would be like this is becoming a problem yeah and i can't do this anymore so that's when they're going to reach out for help and it's just like you know with ellie essentially doing everything for her mom mm -hmm. and her mom not having a job that you know the like i'm assuming like you know mr nash is the one like his military uh Payment, like, his military, like, salary is paying the bills. Yeah, for so, sure. So she doesn't need to do anything. And as long, like, and Ellie's going to keep things going for as long as she has to because she doesn't want to get taken away. Yeah. Like. Yeah, no, that yeah, makes the, sense. The point you made earlier. So what else does Mrs. Nash need to do but drink until she's passed out on the couch? I guess that's a good point. I just always wonder with with that, with, like, when you're going to be approaching this, like, you know, how... how I'm more, like, looking at it from, like, a meta perspective of, like, how the writers were discussing how they were going to portray it and, mm -hmm. like, their reasoning behind taking this portrayal of it as opposed to other types of portrayals of it. To me, it, this whole thing felt just very realistic. Okay. As opposed to the other ones where it's just like, oh, like... I'm Sean trying to be, like, using alcohol and then it being bad. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm going to be the fun party person. Like, and it's just like, whoa, you drank a lot last night and you... That, like, it became a problem. Yeah. Like, you know, I think those... And, it, like... I don't know. Like, this this whole thing, it, it felt very realistic to me. Okay. So. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. 
Erica, I don't know if you want to speak at all to this. Oh, I was also going to say that it's interesting that they had her um, surrounded by kind of ex- more expensive drinks, right? She's not going yeah. out and just buying like a six pack. She's she's buying like these these bottles of vodka, which we assume as viewers are more expensive. Yeah, I mean that part's not. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to. I. I... From once again, from my experience, it was just like it's not for the most part, it's like not, you know, it's about what's going to get you there, yeah. And for some people, it's yeah, like she's not gonna like drink like you know, a bunch of beers because that's not gonna get her to the place she needs to go to as fast as she can, yeah. Like the vodka, I'll take care of that pretty succinctly, yeah. I think it also kind of speaks to, like, the uh, functionality. Yeah. I think also, because I feel like when you see, at least in media, when they portray somebody with a little more, like, functionality from it, or, like, somebody who's trying to just get by, but also, like, you know, do their job or whatever, it it usually kind of leans on, like, beer or something with a lower alcohol content. But in here, she's looking for oblivion, and this is how she's going to find it. Yeah. Which is rough, but the truth of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Ellie just kind of retreats to her room. Um, you can hear the mom vomiting in the background. Yeah, it's fucking rough. Um, she's taking out her school supplies. She's trying to focus. Um, she has a drafting compass fallout. Um, and she kind of looks at it and kind of contemplates, like, you know, hurting herself with it. Um, and they don't, they show her, like, bringing it to her skin, um, but in a way that I really appreciate, they have, they kind of just, like, pan up to her face when, and she's upset and distressed, obviously, as she's hurting herself, but she does, they don't actually show her doing it. Oh. Which I appreciate. Um, which... It's interesting watching, I don't know, this episode is very hard for me for various reasons. Watching this is interesting because I think that it's hard because I feel like self-harm, similar to eating disorders, I feel like it's really hard to find media that portrays it in a way that is, I I hesitate to say right, I feel like that's not really the word, but one that rings true, I guess, is kind of what I'm looking for. And I feel like with this, I feel like it was kind of a, kind of a way to kind of show how people may resort to self-harm because they just want just some fucking control. And I think that that was a very good way to kind of show how it can escalate and how you can decide to do that because like everything just kind of fell into place just so that that's what you need to do so you don't yeah yeah uh it's definitely like her ellie's choice of a coping mechanism um at this point in time you know because she's she's under a lot of stress from not knowing if she got the co-op job um her grades are suffering, her mom, her family life's not great, and so she's, she found this way to have a coping mechanism, um, and I think that they portrayed it pretty 
good. I don't I don't like to use the word good, of course, in this like uh, sense, but you know, it it was it was direct. We we know what the character's doing, but it's not over where they're um, kind of glorifying it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I respected their choice of you know camera angles and storytelling in that sense. I agree. I agree. I think that you get like a lot of the time self harm in the way that it's portrayed. You get a lot of like kind of like that lifetime movie kind of treatment, kind of like a. You know, you can kind of see, even if you haven't seen a movie that directly handles it, but you can kind of see how, like, after, especially after we watched She's Too Young, you can see kind of from this era how self-harm is portrayed a lot of the time. And it's nice to see it given this kind of sensitivity. And the fact that it's given to a character who we've seen be so strong, and, like, we've seen her have this strong sense of self. We've seen her kind of really, like, you know, always trying to do what she finds to be right, and the fact that she kind of needs this to have some semblance of order, it it makes a lot of sense. It hurts. I'm upset to see that she is dealing with it, but it also kind of, it, it makes sense simultaneously. But, um, the next scene, we have her wake up, um, the alarm goes off, she, she reaches over, and she kind of looks at her arm for a second, kind of touches the cut that she just made, um, and then she's walking in the halls, she's wearing black, like, you know, she's wearing a typical Ellie outfit, but her arms are definitively covered, um, and she passes by Paige, as Paige is kind of boasting about how, like, you know, she felt she nailed the interview, and how she's totally, like, you know, Caitlin loved her, and then when she sees Marco, um, Marco is just very encouraging toward Ellie. And as she's about to get settled, so Vey appears and says that she has to grab Ellie and Paige for a second. Yeah. Which, honestly, like, this part kind of confused me. Like, why would you tell them both at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I feel like it was just for the sake of the writing for Ellie to kind of get that satisfaction and get that positivity boost. Mm -hmm. And I think that was all it functioned as. It's not realistic in the sense that, like, that's not what any person working with kids would want to do. But I do understand for the sake of the moment, which is Sauve saying that Caitlin chose Ellie. And, you know, it gives Paige that moment to kind of look down on her and say, like, oh, she must have picked you out of pity. Um, but Ellie doesn't give a shit. Like, she, she smiles so wide, and she's so happy about that moment. And it's a very, it's a very sincere smile, which kind of loops, you know, back to the theme at the beginning of the episode about her father wanting her to keep that smile and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So we see her in what's potentially, like, an upswing, and, and things, you know, might be looking up. And when she goes to Caitlin's station, Caitlin's super happy to have Ellie... Um, and she's like, you know, I wish you could have be here more, like, you're only here once a week, and Ellie's like, no, I can be here all the fucking time, like, you want me here mornings, afternoons, evenings, I don't give a shit, I'll be here always, <laughs> like, um, and Caitlin is just like, well, you know, my therapist told me it's important to have a life, and... <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I do kind of appreciate, because only Caitlyn would be, like, that over-sherry toward a teenager. You know what I mean? Like, only Caitlyn would be like, hi, let me tell you what my therapist and I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, um... Kaylin also introduces her to her desk space. It seems to be kind of full of, like, VHS, it looks like. It looks like some sort of footage storage area. But she made some space for Ellie to be able to have a home base. And this is where um, the cinematography changes quite a bit. It's kind of partially... It's, it's pretty much a montage um, with this interesting kind of paneling effect that starts happening, which I've never really seen in any episode, um, as set to a song. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I kind of appreciate it because it just showed like all the different things she had to deal with at once. Yes, yes. In a way that, you know, would not be as clunky as if they didn't do something like that. I yeah. thought it was a pretty interesting effect. Yeah. Um... But it kind of layers all of her issues together in a way that's kind of interesting. Um, so it includes things like her interviewing a director of, like, some sort of, like, teen center and, like, kind of, like, the different types of issues that the kids deal with. And, of course, he mentions, like, you know, they work with youth that deal with cutting and things like that. And that kind of gives her, like, pause for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you have... Um, her calling her dad and finding out that he's okay and him asking about mom and her just kind of being like, oh, she can't come to the phone and where she's passed out and drunk and ever, uh, passed out drunk and not doing great. Um, it shows Ellie kind of fiddling with scissors and kind of contemplatively looking at them. And that part I really appreciated, like, because I think that as, as this is going to be really fucking dark. But I feel like when you have issues with self-harm, sometimes you look at stuff and you're like, can I hurt myself with this? Not too sure. Huh? And you, you kind of just start fiddling with it. And it's not necessarily that you're going to in that moment, but it's almost like you're taking inventory in your head of things that you can use if you're in a pinch. Yeah. Which is incredibly dark. And I know that's like a really fucking like weird, probably bad thing to say on the podcast. But like it... it it was a moment that felt very real to me that like I was kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. And then she kind of tosses it to the side and gets back to work because Caitlin walks in and kind of like takes her out of that. And I think that's like one of the really great storytelling aspects of this episode is like all the little details they put in of her storyline that like, you know, these are symptoms and signs. If you see someone fixating on certain objects that could be um, uh, like a symptom of self-harm so I think that was really interesting how they put that in really like a really good storytelling uh, moment they had and I think it also speaks to how if you are dealing with it or you're going through a moment where you're feeling kind of self-abusive and things like that how you how like you almost need to be constantly stimulated and like the second you get downtime sometimes you're thinking about it and it's like it's interesting kind of watching even if you don't necessarily um you know it's good to be aware of it and good to be seeing the signs of it but also it kind of speaks to kind of like that if you're going through something like this you need to be distracted you need to be occupied you need to be doing stuff because if you are not then it's going to be very easy to get overwhelmed and focused on potentially doing that to yourself it's like a very subtle little thing that, like, I don't think I see a lot of the time when I see attempts at, self- at self-harm being portrayed in media. Like, it doesn't talk about how much it kind of consumes you when things are quiet. Which oh, I really yeah. appreciated. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the scenes kind of keep going. 
Um, they show Ellie hurting herself in, in the bed, in her bedroom. Once again, it's, it's not, it's kind of like her back. It doesn't show her outright doing it to herself, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Um. And it also does go back to like the, you know, whenever you have downtime, cause she, she's like not focusing on her homework, even though she's supposed to be. And she does have that downtime and she does, you know, turn to it when she's stressed. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's, there's like, once again, there's these very interesting, subtle little things that happen, um, that always kind of surprise me. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, there's a lot about this that, like, you know, ended up being done very well, which is very shocking to me. Yeah. It's such a hard pitch. It's like, well, here you go. Here's a Degrassi episode that talks about self-harm. You're kind of going into it. You're like, hmm. <laughs> and I remember this speaking to me a lot as a kid, but even revisiting it, there's these little moments that I'm very, very impressed with. Um, but, yeah. It, well, no, I was just going to say, because I... And I actually have an anti recommendation <laughs> coming up because like <laughs> I think you need that one of one of those because I was trying to think of stuff I've read that included self harm and I'm just thinking about how this does this so much better than that. <laughs> um, yeah. But um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I rewatched it too, this this episode was kind of like. You know, I went through season one and season two, that was fine, but, like, this episode really, like, hooked me on to completing the whole series. Yeah. Um, Because this was just such a good, like, storytelling episode. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This was one of the earlier episodes for me, too, to be honest. Um, It's not my first episode. I remember my first Degrassi episode. I'll reveal it. It had an Ellie plot in it. But... I remember this element of how they tell her self-harm being very, being a part of it as well. Um, and it it really hit me. It's, it's interesting. There's something about how she does it. And the fact that, like, you could jump into it and not, like, you know, not fully know her. But there's something about it being done that's so well that, like, she... I feel like she was, like, a, a character a lot of people bought into because of how she was approached with this storyline. I think with Ellie, like, it works so well with her is because, you know, you've seen, like, if you're coming into this cold, and, like, this is your first episode of Degrassi, then you're just gonna be like, oh, it's a goth character. And, you know, you're like, okay, I think I've seen this before, but Ellie isn't like that. She's not, as in this one, she's not pushed to the side like the way I feel like a lot of goth characters are. Yeah. Um, and also, let's be real, it's such a fine line to have your, your like, punk goth character also cut. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's such a, a lot of people would just kind of hand wave that as a cliche. Yeah. But she's not just a caricature. Yeah. And... Like, this episode does a, such a good job of showing everything she's dealing with. That I feel like even if you had never seen her before, you just would feel your heart breaking for her as this happens. But then, like, we're coming at this with, you know, the full 
seasons we've seen with her. And what have we seen so far is, like, her being there for Ashley when, like, being a true friend to Ashley, possibly the first true friend Ashley's ever had. Um, then, like, Marco coming out to her and her just being so understanding. And um, I forget who was on that episode with us, but, like, they said, I, th- I might even been, I, I forget who said it, but it was, like, I wanted a friend like Ashley not Ashley, like Ellie, at that time period. In yeah. My, at that time in my life. So then to see her struggling just so alone, it's just so hard. Like, that was, like, my thing. It was just, like, I just want somebody to be nice to her. <laughs> like, I need somebody to, like, help her. Yeah, yeah. Because she, she's been... I mean, she's put so much... We've seen her putting out so much emotional energy for Margo. We've seen her be so kind and so understanding and not do everything perfectly, but try to do right by him and hurt herself in the process, right? Yeah. Like, you know, emotionally compromise herself to keep him safe. And then you see her getting shit on because her family situation fucking sucks. And, you know, she's being, uh, you know, she could just went through a really emotional upheaval of trying to secure a co-op. And now you're going to throw, like, you know, the fact that she doesn't feel like she can turn to anybody. Like, she she isn't she isn't in a position she's going to turn to Marco because of this. She's not going to talk to Ashley. She's not going to talk to any of those people. She, she feels that she has to resort to hurting herself because it's the only way to keep everything in check. Keep the balance. And it's hard. Yeah, and I, and I also think that scene with um, her talking to Marco in the lunchroom really kind of shows like why she feels like she can't talk to Marco because you know she tried opening up to him once before about her bad grades um but she was kind of shot down so it like further isolated her and further like created this narrative where she felt um isolated enough to do like to resort to this um way of coping you know Precisely. Uh, yeah. So they did a really good job of setting up uh, her isolation in this whole episode. Yeah. It, 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 I don't know. It really, it, I feel like there's something to be said. There's something important about that where, like, you know, it's not, like, you don't have to be, like, a super isolated in a very literal sense person, right? Like, you, you, it's not like you have no friends and then things like that. Like, no, you can have friends and you can have a co-op job that you really like and you can have things going right in your life, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted to have to resort to self-injury to cope with the stress. So it's, it hits you. Um... And, you know, we see her trying to find a balance and, you know, we see her hurting herself but also trying to tuck her mom in um, on the couch. Um, And then it kind of stops when we see her running into school. She's late. Um, She asks for a note and says that she was like, you know, she's late because of um, her placement. And the secretary gives her a really hard time, points out that she's been absent, like, five times in two weeks or something like that. And she says, like, you know, if you're, you keep being late, like, you're going to not be able to continue your placement, like, yeah. period. And Ellie is just, like, really upset about the whole entire exchange. The secretary's a little condescending to her, like, makes her have to lean in to grab the pass when she writes it and everything. 
And so Ellie is really upset and goes to the bathroom to hurt herself, which once again is kind of makes sense. And I, I like this because I think it goes into, and I think Degrassi does a pretty good job of portraying this, how a lot of the time the thing that triggers a person to be really upset and like, you know, really break is not explicitly the thing that you would think somebody would break over. It's not necessarily, I mean, yes, there's the threat of potentially having the placement taken away, but you can tell Ellie was so distraught by the communication between herself and the secretary, that's why she's upset. And when, you know, you can see why the way that she was treated kind of pushed her to it, as opposed to, like, a very obvious direct interaction between one of the major stressors that she's going through right now. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of, like, when my anxiety, like, my depression has built up, and it won't be, like, the major things that are giving it, and then it's just, like, oh, there's no toilet paper in the bathroom, and it's just, like, fuck! Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's that one little thing that just, and then, like, you start yelling at your roommates, and you're, like, all of you are inconsiderate, I do so much around here, it's, like, this really isn't about the toilet paper, is it, anymore? Yeah, exactly, it's, like, No, but, like, that happens to me literally all the time. Like, the things that actually set me off are so inconsequential. It's, like, stupid shit in the grand scheme of things. But, like, I feel like Degrassi kind of nails, like, how that kind of push, if somebody's in that zone, is going to potentially be what triggers them into hurting themselves. Yeah, because it just pushed her further into this isolation that she had where, you know, uh, the secretary who was not being very nice to her and telling her, like, oh, this could have severe consequences, and it kind of, you know, it felt like the secretary was antagonizing her. Yeah. Um, which is what, you know, which was the thing that really upset Ellie because, you know, it wasn't like... Uh, the secretary fired her right then and there, but, you know. And and it's also just, like, kind of, like, a thing that, you know, secretaries obviously, like, I've, I've worked with a lot of them at this point, like, yeah, okay, there's some kids that'll kind of raise their eyebrows, like, they'll make some faces, but most part secretaries, at least the ones that I've worked at, worked with, do not, like, actively antagonize students who are late. Yeah, sometimes there's your habitual late kids, and they're like, Again? Like, <laughs> oh, geez. But, like, you know, they're able to sign in with little issue. Um, and, and in the case of Ellie, I can also understand why she's upset because, like, for the most part, she's a good kid. Yeah, she looks, you know, pretty rough and tumble. But ultimately, from what we can tell, she's an attentive worker. She cares about, you know, she cares about her schoolwork. She cares about her co-op. She cares about doing the right thing. So when you have somebody make it insin- make the insinuation that you're like a bad kid when you you know deep in your heart you're you're, you're like you know you are for the most part a pretty okay human being is another another way to kind of hit you especially if she is in the process of isolating if she's in the process of putting the blame on herself um she then gets told that and that's a that's a really easy way to kind of screw your screw up an already tenuous like take on who you are as a person. Yeah. So she she um goes to the 
bathroom to hurt herself she opens up a like a whole kit which includes like not only just like the the drafting compass but also includes like band-aids and q-tips and things like that um to like you know do first aid um and um as she's like in the process of doing it um uh, page open page enters um and ellie kind of just like you know panic moves the drafting compass falls into the sink. I think there's blood on the sink as well. Um, and, you know, Paige is like, oh, what's going on? And she goes like, oh, I hit my arm. And she tries to kind of like, you know, write it off. Um, and it's just like this very tense moment. I was so stressed. I was so stressed, guys. Yeah. But, I'm sorry? Uh, I was also going to mention... So the, the like, kit that she has, is that inside a CD case? Yes, yeah. it is. It 100% is. But I think it, I, I think it's just this, this, like, CD case trapper keeper thing. Yeah, I mean, like... Because the, there seems to be, like, pen positions and CD things. Yeah. CD holders. It seems like she kind of, like, repurposed one of those things. But, um, I mean, it also kind of speaks to... I don't know, there's something... I think it speaks to, I think a lot of the time, like, there's this weird thing that happens. I think there's a misconception that develops with self-harm where, to a certain extent, it is, it's hard because, like, you know, not every case of self-harm features somebody trying to draw attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cry for help, but it's not, not necessarily drawing attention to yourself. And I think that sometimes it is. It absolutely is. And sometimes people want to be found out. And people want people to know, and people, not even to say that it's a bad thing, it's just they're coping poorly and they need help. But I do think that there's also this other subset, which is people who self-harm, who don't want to be a burden, who are trying to keep things together, this is how they want to keep it together, and they want to do what they can to not have to be a burden. And and, and in this case, especially when you're cutting yourself, it's making sure your wounds are clean, Making sure that, you know what I mean, like making sure like you are taking care of things on your own so that you don't have to become, uh, you know, get get an infection and become a medical issue for people. So, um, Paige is there, the door opens, Paige is there, um, she knows that Ellie is bleeding, um, Ellie kind of dismisses like, you know, she just kind of hit her arm, um, and Ellie tries to leave. She walks out of the school, which also, like, everybody is out. I don't fucking... I don't understand Degrassi's school calendar, like, you know, school schedule. Degrassi constantly plays Calvin Ball with all the rules. Yeah, truly. Um, and Ellie kind of goes to one of the benches, and Paige marches over. Um, and, you know, she says, like, you know, I saw your arm. At one point she says, like, does it feel good or what? Um, and it's just this really, like, tense, scary, sad moment. I, I was very distraught. Um, you see the, but what's interesting is, in this moment, you kind of see the, the, you know, you see the flip happen with Paige, which is very interesting. Because with Paige, with a lot of Queen Bee characters, like, you know, a lot of the time they're kind of portrayed in a way that is so inhumane, basically. Like, they just plow through, never give a shit, and never change until, like, something bad happens to them, basically. And 
Paige, even before her big bad thing happened to her, has always had this element to her where she... She she does kind of ease up. Even if she went too far, she does ease up eventually. And in her case, she's beginning to be like, you know, it's not really... A, it's not a game to her anymore. Yeah. Now she is worried about Ellie. The, there's like two... There's two modes to Paige. It's just like... Social Climber page and Mama Bear page. Yeah. It's true. She's, she, the switch flips, she becomes Mama Bear mode. Um, and she's really, really, um, very firm to Ellie that she should talk to Sove. Which makes a lot of sense because Paige has been seeing Sove and has a positive connection with her. Um, and I appreciate it because I like that it's coming from somebody who's actually worked with Sove. As opposed to, like, if Paige didn't have that rapport with her and they were just kind of like, and she just kind of gave the generic, you should go to therapy. Yeah. I've heard that helps people. Like, no, she's speaking from an experience of I've gone through trauma. I needed to work on it. I went to Sauve. It was okay. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And that kind of makes me able to not look past the actions that she had in the beginning of the episode, but allow me to kind of go, no, this is still Paige. Like, this isn't, like, some weird caricature creature that was kind of created for the sense for the sake of conflict. This is still Paige. These are both Paige, basically. Yeah. She's multifaceted. She is. Um, That's why we love her. Yeah. Um, so, the next scene we have, we have uh, Ellie walking in the hall... Sauve is walking out of her office and telling Paige that she'll be right back. And then, like, you know, when she's back, she'll be, they'll talk about her friend. Um, and Ellie's, of course, really worried about this and confronts her. And Ellie insinuates that Paige is concerned, not because she actually gives a shit, but because she basically wants to find a way to sabotage Ellie and make Ellie come off like she's un unstable and unable to maintain the co-op. Which, fucking oof, because, like, I've been there myself, like, I have been, and I feel like that was, that's usually my worry when it comes to disclosing my, um, mental illness and things like that, and I, I think, I really feel Ellie, because Ellie is similar to me for many reasons, but I think specifically in this way that she holds her professional career with such a sense of pride, and how it's like, you know, everything sucks, but I'm not bad at this. Because we see that Ellie is doing well at that co-op. It's a good fit. She gets along well with Caitlin. She's getting work done. She's given more responsibility, it seems like, than maybe somebody else would be. And she's doing well. She yeah. doesn't want to lose that. <laughs> and, you know, if this gets out, then she that's her worry. Her concern, it, it becomes, I don't want to be a burden, but also I don't want to lose this thing I really like. Yeah. Which hurts. And, of course, she's slinging this at Paige, saying, like, you know, you're, you're just trying to get my job. And Paige is just like, no, it's that you're hurting yourself and Sauve can help you. Yeah, and um, she's just like, um, she shows, like, I don't, care, I don't care about the job. And she's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, which I loved. I loved that because I think that, I don't know. I really liked seeing that. I liked seeing Paige be willing to admit that. 
And I think that it's also important. I think this is where it's not necessarily the most, I feel like a lot of teens would not come to that conclusion, but I think it's important to show a teenager coming to that conclusion. I think it's so important to have a teenager just be like, I don't fucking know what to do because I think that a lot of kids think it, but they rarely say it to their friend because it's like, you know, I myself have been the kid who's been in fucked up situations and I had a lot of friends dealing with fucked up situations. Not once did I ever go, I'm like, I'm 15 and I don't know what the fuck is happening. And like, it's nice to see a teenager just straight up say, I don't know what to do. Like, you're asking me to help you. Like, you know, not that I'm not that, not that asking me to help. It's just like, you know, I have this information and I don't know what to do with it. And I can't just carry it. Yeah. And I know you can't just carry it. So here's here's an option here. It's so vague. And and I really like seeing that cuz I think that much like how Erica you mentioned how there's certain elements of this episode that kind of show you in many ways the signs you should be looking out for. I think this also kind of shows someone like look if you have a friend going through this you don't have to just be their confidant and carry that with you because it's going to eat at you too. And I think that doesn't happen enough when we talk about trauma. We talk about that. Like, we don't talk enough about how, like, you just knowing the information can impact you as well. And so, like, I like a lot of what's happening in that, like, one line where she's just like, I don't know what to do. It's very effective. Um, but yeah, like, so she's like, you know, so they can help you. Um, and then this is where Paige jumps to an angle that this is where I was a little eh, toward, but I do understand why Paige demanded it, where she was just like, okay, then Ellie, like, show me your arm. Yeah, well, Ellie's like, I don't need any help. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Paige is like, okay, then, like, you know, show me your arm, like, you know, basically prove to me that you don't need this support. Um... And Ellie does, and it's kind of like a bit of a production, because not only is she wearing, like, long sleeves, but she's wearing arm warmers and things like that, and she kind of has to, like, peel all the layers until she pulls it up. Honestly, I had to look away. Um, This was the part of the episode that I... Once again, I'm glad they don't show the cutting aspect. I feel like the scars aspect, I understand why they have to. It's still not easy for me to look at. Um, Because... And this is gonna get a little graphic, so... I don't know, may want to put a double warning on this part, but, like, they kind of show the various states of healing and, like, how there's some parts that are bandaged, some are scarred, and some are fresh, and some are scabbed, and, like, it kind of shows you that this is something that was not just, like, a one-and-done or twice-and-done type of situation. This is something that she's had to... She's been doing for quite a while to cope with the situation. Yeah. I just... Yeah. Um, and Paige touches her arm and tries to reiterate, like, it's okay. The, like, quiet ending to this scene just really gets to me. Yeah. Because it's just Paige telling Ellie, like, softly it's gonna be okay and, like, touching her arm. Yeah. Which, I, I felt like that was a pretty big thing of her just reaching out for like to be some kind of form of human contact for uh, Ellie in this moment. I think also the quiet that you point out is very interesting Frank because I felt that like this this scene like they're yelling at one point. Yeah. They are yelling 
both of them in that hall. Like, they are loud. And, like, you know, you have this, like, rise of how loud it gets. And then you have this fall of how quiet the scene ends. And it's a very interesting kind of concept to think about, about how bombastic they are one second and then how like quiet and it, I guess it kind of speaks to how seriously Paige is taking this and how sincere Paige is being even even in spite of like her her gripes with Ellie prior to this a Paige understands that this is a serious situation and she needs to try and have more grace than she did before yeah so yeah they definitely the it highlighted on the sincerity and like the desperation of Kind of both of them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like Paige at the end was begging Ellie to show the arm. And then when Ellie finally caves, it's, it is this big dramatic moment um, of Ellie finally opening up and accepting help. Um, I think that's what it's supposed to like signify yeah, at be- that point. Yeah, because I feel like if Ellie wasn't ready to accept it, she would have pulled away or she wouldn't have shown her arm. You know what I mean? Like, she would have, like, not let her touch her arm or things like that. And I think it, it it's a very interesting way to show that acceptance of needing support without just overtly having the character go, yes, and now I will get therapy. Which I feel like, you know, sometimes they like to have the realization be. It's a little quieter than that. And I feel like it complements Ellie in many ways. Like she it just it suits her to a certain extent if it i appreciate it and i feel like this this degrassi has done a pretty good job at this i think there's been some some you know some bumbling along the way but i think overall they have been very good at giving the characters that get these big traumatic type things it's made sense in the way the character conceptualizes it complements the character i feel like they they deal with and cope with these things in a way that feels true to them as opposed to just a copy-paste job of we need to talk about abuse so we're going to put it on this character and we need to talk about self-harm so we're going to put it on this character. Which I really appreciate. Yeah. So, the last scene that we have, big fucking oof, um, it's Ellie and Sauve, they're kind of staring at each other and Ellie is deeply uncomfortable, and Sauve is just kind of like, all right, the session's over, and Ellie is very apologetic, which I also really appreciated, because it kind of goes back to how she doesn't want to be a problem. She doesn't want to be inconveniencing people. And she, you know, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, like, I didn't say anything. And Sauve is just like, you know, it's a first step. Like, you know, saying that you need to go to this is a big deal. And, like, that also is a step. Like, saying something is another step. Which I really appreciated, because I think that a lot of the time it's hard. Some people, like, I feel like some people, at least people who haven't done very much therapy or haven't had bad experiences with therapy don't really realize, like, how incredibly uncomfortable it can be for some people and admitting like okay I'm gonna do it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to just be able to trust the therapist or feel comfortable talking to the therapist or even like feeling like you are not inconveniencing them even though they got a doctor in it (laughs) you know what I mean it's like their fucking job is to listen to you and yet like you're there and you're like oh I oh I should leave you alone I'm sorry (laughs) ma'am like I'm sorry Ms. Sauvet 
Um, so it's interesting kind of watching that happen because I've definitely been there like 100% just kind of staring at somebody for like 40 minutes. <laughs> um, but also Sauve is very kind and, and is like, you know what, we're going to try tomorrow. Like, let's, you know, let's meet again tomorrow. And it kind of, that's how the episode ends. We see that Ellie is getting support. She has another appointment with Sauve and maybe that time she'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate the scene where it kind of normalized, like, um, you know, Ellie going to therapy and also Ellie taking her time in dealing with the stuff she needs to deal with. Um, yeah. Because they didn't just rush for her to have this uh, happy ending where, you know, she doesn't do it anymore. They're showing that she's stepping towards recovery instead of just, like, being recovered. Yeah. No, I agree. It's it's a very smart type of storytelling. And, and like you said, like, it does kind of reiterate, like, this doesn't just, like, get fixed overnight this is she has to overhaul a whole lot if she wants to stop doing this or at least reduce harm and it does take a lot of steps and it does include admitting that maybe you do need professional help but like you know getting like i don't know it just this episode fucked me up (laughs) um yeah it's um just everything about it like I, should I just give my grade on it? I mean, I don't know. Erica, do you have anything else to add? I was also just going to say shout out to Miss Sauve because um, uh, she's very patient for a school like guidance counselor. You know, she's obviously very busy trying to give all these students co-op positions. Yeah, it's true. Um, it. it my, this is this is going to get dark, but in my experience, a lot of school um, guidance counselors aren't willing to sit with a student for 40 minutes not talking. Yeah. And so the fact that she was like, okay, you didn't do it today, but we're doing it tomorrow, that's, and not even saying like next week, because, yeah. you know, most, that was, shout out to her. <laughs> There's also this harm reduction aspect to it that I really appreciate. Like, it doesn't, like, I feel like a lot of the time, at least the fear that I would have, my friends would have when it came to self-harm and things like that is if an adult found out, then, like, you know, your parents were going to find out and then, like, you know, you would not be able to, like, you know, like, your life would be fucked. And here we're seeing Sauve take this more harm reduction approach of, like, you know, it's not, like, you know, we're going to try and figure this out. But we're going to try and figure this out together, and we're going to try and find a way for you to deal with this, but we're not necessarily going to um, have it be a, um, you know, have you be in a compromised position because of it. And, And I also really appreciate that. And I don't think that's necessarily what the policy is a lot of the time, but I do think that there, it kind of shows you a more idealized way to approach it, Mm. which is, like, you know, understanding that a lot of the time people self-harm to kind of hang on, basically. And, like, how can you teach somebody better coping mechanisms to keep them hanging on as opposed to the kind of jumping to the assumption that hurting yourself is a, you know, a, you know, a, a suicide attempt? Yeah. 
once again, don't think that's necessarily policy, but I do like the approach. And I appreciate seeing it as opposed to like a, a you know, the way that other people may portray it, other writers may portray it, which is like, Ellie, you know, Ellie, people find out Ellie hurts herself and then her mom gets a call home and then that cycle goes. No. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll go to the rating of the episode, Frank. Um, I'm going to give it an A. The only thing that brings it down is the weird Toby moments. Yeah, right? <laughs> Fuck. Feels like eons ago when we were just talking about that. Yeah. I, I'm just, I just don't get it. <laughs> I know. I don't either. Um, but, like, everything about this episode is just so good. Like, not, it's, you know, I, I think you know what I mean by good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think everyone, everyone here knows what you mean. So, like, Ellie and Paige, Paige's actresses just fucking knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Like, once again, like, I'm just like, why is Lauren Collins not in more things? I know, right? Um... So, yeah. Yeah. Give you a solid A. Um, Erica, I don't know. As a veteran, you don't have to give a rating of the episode. I don't know if you want to kind of give a any type of thing like that. Um, I'm not going to give it a letter grade, necessarily. But I would say that this episode hit a lot of personal notes for me. Um, the storyline and... Um, the, of course, military kind of thing. So I really enjoyed this episode, and I think it had a lot of good things in it. Uh, I wanted to mention that I did watch this with my partner, and this is the this was kind of a one-off episode for him. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned it was a little... Um, it was... It didn't have a lot of moving forward, in his opinion, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, just because he doesn't know where it's going to go from here is, was his take on it. So I thought that was interesting as kind of seeing this as, which this is kind of a bad episode to see as your only Degrassi episode, but, um, so that was an interesting take on that. Yeah, it's definitely a quieter episode in certain ways compared to some of the other episodes that I think are some of the ones that people get initially exposed to. Um, So I guess we'll move on to character rankings. Erica and I are going to sit out on this one because it's all on you, Frank. Oh, boy. Um, Toby, you're going down my estimations again. Um, Miss Sauve. Sauve? Yeah, Sauve. Sauve is going, once again, even higher in my recommendations. Um, and not my recommendations, my estimations. She's great. I think she's a great therapist. Um, uh, Ashley kind of stay in the same place. Terry kind of stay in the same place. Rick, don't know anything about you. You'll start off in the middle, kind of average, I guess. Um, but I just, like, it. Hazel for, like, backing up Terry and being, like, this is a Terry scrapbook. I'm going to, like, call the cops. I like that. <laughs> so, Hazel's going up in my estimations a bit. Um, Ellie. Hmm. 
it's it's hard with Ellie. Cause I don't I'm not pumped on what's happening this episode to her. But you know no, Ellie gets to rise a bunch of like bunch of spots because she decided to get help. Mm-hmm. Um, Paige, you went down a little bit, but now you can rise back to the heavens for being like I'm here to help and putting aside all your personal feelings to do so. Um, uh, there's not a lot of people in this episode. No, it's a it's an incredibly small cast, really. Um, Marco is going up in my uh, spots just for just for trying to get it. For chasing his bliss. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's it. All right. So now we can move. There's also oh, there was also that tiny scene with Manny. I don't know if that. Oh skewed anything Uh, thank you for reminding me of that Erica Um, Manny for also just being like just for just for Mary's advice I was just being like you gotta get it (laughs) like (laughs) also going with my estimations (laughs) Um, so let's move on to recommendations this is where we recommend things that are related to the plot but also may just be things that we're enjoying um, honestly, I will say that I, I feel like I've always kind of returned to this episode and the episodes that continue discussing Ellie's self-harm as kind of like the, the, the top best portrayal that I've really seen. Um, I, I, it's a very hard bunch of episodes to watch. This episode's hard to watch. It is potentially triggering. Um, but... I think that it also kind of shows how self-harm kind of manifests in a way that isn't necessarily what a lot of other media takes on it. And a lot of those pieces of media I wouldn't recommend anyway. I think a lot of it comes to the fact that Ellie is a very fully realized character who self-harms, as opposed to, I think, a lot of the way YA tries to approach self-harm, which is this is a character who self-harms and then I guess has like a personality. So she's someone that you cheer for, somebody that you understand, and somebody when you see her dealing with it, you're upset, but you kind of understand why she's doing it. So I think that overall this episode's really good. Um, That being said, um, another portrayal of self-harm that I found to be quite good, I've recommended on the show before, which is 22 and Alone by Cameron Lucente. Um, It's a couple... Uh, It's an autobiographical piece, um, graphic novel, in which he explores his struggles with mental illness, um, and there is a very specific section of it that discusses his struggles with self-harm and his relationship with it, and it was another very real portrayal of it, which once again can be very triggering, but if you're looking for a somebody speaking to the experience in a way that feels very real um, and very true to it, um, I would definitely recommend it, so... Um, it's a recommendation I've given before, but I want to reiterate, I think is a really good one for self-harm content. Erica, would you like to give your recommendation? Yeah, so I've been trying to think of a good recommendation, because again, like, when I think of good self-harm representation, um, in media, I think of this episode, and this is what I fall back on, and I... Um, when I was younger, I tried to seek out a lot of um, this type of media, and I never found anything that was really that really held it up to a good standard. So my recommendation is just going to be something I've been enjoying recently, which I've been rewatching Glee. 
um, which is a whole other like battle of its own. Oh um, yes. But they do have some pretty good plot lines um, where it's kind of similar in Degrassi where sometimes it's issue of the week, but most of the times they're just there kind of developing plot leading up towards, you know, um, the the inner workings of a singing group, basically, is um, and a bunch of theater kids trying to come together is the whole plot of Glee. So, um. Yeah. Nice. And Frank, I know you said you had an anti-recommendation. Yeah, the book uh, Willow by Julia Hoban. Oh, fuck that book. Yeah. Fuck it. I've read it. Fuck that book. Y- yeah, you know, hey, like, what, stop, what stops a person from cutting? Is it, you know, therapy and seeking professional help? Nope. It's a hunky boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nah. It's it's like, ugh, I remember that book. I read it when I was a kid. Cause I, I, similar to you, Erica, like, I, I seeked out a lot of books that kind of handle this theme. Um, trying desperately to find something that rang true for me. And I remember reading Willow and being like, fuck this. <laughs> um, and there's a couple books in the YA section that I have read that I just can't. They're not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I was about to say, I haven't really been enjoying anything recently. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know, like, um, I'm going to recommend, you know what, I'm going to pre-recommend the new Jenny Lewis album, um, On the Line. Or just, you know, if I, I'm just going to recommend Jenny Lewis. Just check out her stuff. It's all very good. Rilo Kylie. Um, her solo stuff. I love Rilo Kylie, so I'm behind this. Jenny Lewis is just one of the most prolific songwriters out there right now, and she has a big dramatic voice. And I'm going to go see her perform at the Forest Hill Center, or Forest Hill Stadium, with Def Cat for Cutie. Hell yeah. So. Hey. Have fun. I will. It's like this June, I think. Nice. Have a meetup. <laughs> um, anyway, everybody. I'm happy to say this to you, Erica. You've made it through. Woo! Yay! Congratulations. Are there any ways that people can keep in touch with you? Yeah, so I have a Twitter. I'm not very active on it, but it is EricaJohnson97. So if you want to talk to me there, I'll be there. Awesome. Um, and if you want to keep in touch with the podcast, there's a few ways you can do that. You can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com, where you can send us any comments, questions, or concerns. Um, you can also send us audio clips as well as, um, text to, to talking about how the series has meant something to you, characters, plots, episodes, doesn't matter. We will gladly read them, um, and either read them or play them during the episode. You can also contact us, much like Erica did, and... Ask if you could potentially appear on an episode, which is really exciting. And Erica, I do want to reiterate, like, we, I, I legitimately, like, I freaked out when I saw your email. I was so happy. Um, and it's so nice to, that, because this, this was months ago. Because um, I remember you emailed us, like, months ago. And I was like, yeah, I guess, I mean, we'll get to that episode eventually. And then we finally made it. So it's so great to have you on here and everything. 
Yes, 10 out of 10 would recommend if anyone's thinking about it. So oh, Hell yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you're interested, definitely email us. Let us know what episodes you'd be interested in appearing on as well as a little bit about your background. Um, and we will definitely try to make it work. Um, you can also follow us on social media. Um, Frank, it looks like you're about to say something. Well, I just want to say for anybody else... Uh, considering a more recent episode to be on, just keep in mind, we generally have about two or three in the bank at any given moment. Yes. So we might not be able to get you on one of the more recent episodes, but we will try if it's like, if it's five or six out, you're probably safe. Exactly. Like, and if you have an episode that you know, and it might be a little while, because Erica, I think when you asked us about this episode, like we were not nowhere near season three really yet. Um, don't hesitate to contact us and make that investment because we will follow up with you about it. Yeah, Donnie has a very thorough notebook of who our guests are going to be. <laughs> it's true. I'm very careful. Um, anyway, um, if you want to keep in touch with us on social media, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. You can also join our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through a Podcast where you can absolutely message us, talk to us, and do all that good stuff. Also, we have a couple other ways that you can support the podcast. We are inviting our listeners to provide ratings and reviews on uh, various whatever sites. Uh, once we hit 20, we are actually going to go into the vault and check out some Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High episodes um, and be able to give you double the content as a thank you. Um, so we are trying to hit 20. Once we do that, we are going to do we are going to put that together. So please don't hesitate to provide some kind words about how this podcast has been a positive experience. Um, also, we have a coffee account. We're really, really, we take compensation really seriously around here, especially because our guests are recording, like, freaking three hours at a time. Um, and we like to make sure that they are compensated for their time with us. So please do not hesitate to buy us a coffee. It's going to go toward compensating them as well as any tech upgrades that we may need over time. Um, if you would like to talk to me individually, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. Um, I don't have a Twitter. I do have another podcast I do with my sister called Teen Girl Talk, um, where we cover teen media um, of all shapes and sizes. It is not as thoughtful as this is. <laughs> <laughs> I also, at this point, will hopefully have my YouTube back up and running for Let's Plays and some creepypasta writings I do, along with... Um, uh, my new series, Fan Fiction Love Roulette, uh, which will be a fun time. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, you, yeah. I mean, that being said, everybody, we hope we can make it through and that you're going to keep, you're going to be there with us. See you next week, everyone. Later. Bye. Bye.